It's the Exit 52 podcast presented by Jimmy Seafood, the only Baltimore podcast that interviewed the subject of a segment on its podcast. What a sentence. But the legend himself, Nick Caner Medley, joins the show today. And fellas, right when we wrapped with Mr. Caner Medley, we've had some tremendous interviews on the show. We really have, we, you know, throughout the you know time we've done. But I think this, the build up to it, having him as a segment on our show and now having him interviewed. I think that's the best interview we've done. So uh, we'll get into that, but we're fun. We, we just finished with him and now we're recording. I'm fired up. I mean, that, that's, that was awesome. Yeah. We're like teasing the interview at the beginning of the episode instead of right before it, just an incredible interview. I, I was sitting there smiling. I won't part my heart got broken, but then he brought it back and oh man, just an awesome, awesome interview. Best one we've done. I'd say, I don't know. That's particularly close. Yeah, I mean, it's we've done, again, a lot of cool ones. Like, talking with Gary Williams, I think, was really cool. Obviously, having Adley on, having DL and Grayson, those are cool. I I think that, I mean, this one was, it was just awesome. Like, all of us, the entire time, we're, like, cheesing the whole time, and, like, I'm giggling at all the stuff he's saying. Um, He told some great stories, and, again, it seemed like there were a lot more stories that he kind of wanted to get into, and we just didn't really dig into it. And I, I'm sure, I mean, again, I would love to sit down with him and just, just listen to his storytelling. I'd al- also like to hear Gary Williams side of a couple of those stories, but that I, that was maybe the most fun I've had during interview during an interview. And it was just, I mean, it was very entertaining. I, and like Brian, you said off camera, I can't wait to listen to it back and, and, you know, just re- relive that again. I thought that was awesome. And again, uh, this time last week, we had zero intention of like, even interviewing him or asking him for an interview. And it came together like that. It was perfect. Tremendous. Seems like he's going to be back in college park. At some point we get into that in the interview. Um, So maybe we'll have him back on. Maybe we'll do something in person with him, but that comes later. Let's get into the Ravens and Orioles talk here uh, very quickly. Cause there's not a ton to talk about. I would say we'll start on the Ravens front. We talked last week, got into it about, you know, Lamar back at minicamp at the OTAs, blah, blah, whatever you want to call it. Um, he then talked to the media after we finished our episode last week. Um, I guess the notable takeaways from that conversation were twofold. Um, he says they have been in some contract talks with Eric DaCosta, um, but he said, I don't know to a bunch of things, and but also then said that he feels like he's going to be a Raven for life, like intends to be. And feels like he deserves the contract. Also, um, added 12 pounds of muscle, which, you know, people were talking about a little bit. Does that limit his explosiveness and things like that? Um, a little bit same old, same old, but we just haven't heard him speak on the situation in a while. So it was notable that he had things to say. Um, I'd have to imagine this continues to be hard because um, he doesn't have an agent. And so the negotiating with him has to all be directly with them. And that's just not how things happen. There's also a thought that maybe he could go the double franchise route and then just hit free agency. And maybe that's why he's delaying it. So I lay that all to both of you to give us your interpretations of Mr. Jackson's comments. Uh, I don't think that the conversation was really all that long of a conversation. Um, I think it was more so just to check a box so that they could stand up in front of people and say, Hey, we've been talking. The conversation has started and the conversation was pretty short from my understanding of the situation. Um, so people can take that information for what they, what they will. Um, 
I really think that Lamar is willing to just wait this thing out and, and see where this whole franchise tag thing goes or wait to see if the Ravens just put an offer in front of him that he can't refute. For the time being, he's just willing to, to play football and, you know, take his chances and see where the chips lay when, when the opportunity arises. So it's just kind of where we're at. And, um, it's nice that he could stand up there and say that they've had conversations, but I just, a contract is not really on the horizon at this point. And I mean, I'm, I'm with banks. It seemed like you have to ask the questions so you can go up and say, yeah, we asked them and, and he answered. And obviously they're not going to give away too much in the, in the off season. Again, it's, it's really no one's business except the Costa and, and Lamar. Um, if they want a deal to get done, I'm sure a deal will get done. If they don't, then, you know, what, whatever, he'll play out his deal and, and we'll see, we'll smell you later. Um, but yeah, I mean, I didn't think those were pretty much the answers I thought he was going to give. It seemed like a lot of people in, you know, call it the media, call it whatever you want. were overreact, not overreacting, but they were reacting. Like, oh my God. He said, I don't know if he was going to report for training camp and if he was going to do this and that again, it's like, he's very, I feel like he's very calculated with his answers. Um, and again, they're not going to give away too much. So I didn't read too much into it as much as other people did. I didn't think it was that big a deal. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that the 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 extent to which it's a big deal is every day this contract doesn't get done is another day of uncertainty for the overall future of the organizations. Because say what you will about everything else that a team does, you know, a quarterback and the money you're going to pay them, really even more than like, you know, performance on the field is obviously the biggest thing, but in terms of how it determines what you're going to do and the Ravens are creative and, and, uh, you know, do an amazing job organizationally to construct their roster. But like when you start to give that much guaranteed money to a quarterback or that much money, just in general to a quarterback that changes everything about what you can do. Now, if he went the like franchise tag route, you know, he's going to get a big payday. If he, you know, the franchise tag value this year for a quarterback was $29 million. So you know, that is going to get him some money. What he's risking, obviously, by not having a long-term deal in place is either a drop in performance that drops his value or an injury that drops his value, which are both, you know, things that are a risk for anybody, but especially him on the injury front and a situation where if he, you know, if the league has quote unquote figured him out, which I don't think any of the three of us buy into that theory, but if you are bought into that theory, you would think he would play worse this year than he has played the last few years. So with all that said, you know, clearly there wasn't a ton there in terms of news, but the news is that there's the news is that there's no news and no news on this front is, you know, not, I wouldn't necessarily use the word disconcerting, but it's like, you know, be nice for this guy to, you know, either sign a contract or whatever. So um, the comments from all his teammates though, were like, we're happy to have Lamar back. He seems to be playing well. I think Mark, Andrew said he's like throwing the ball really well. So all that stuff is good. Um, you know, he confirmed that wide receivers and tight ends will be going at FAU next month to throw with him. So there's some effort there. Um, and it seemed like all of the reports out of camp were that, you know, fully engaged and was going about his business the right way. So it's just a weird story. It continues to be a weird story because I think the anticipation for all of us, as we've talked about, this was like when it came time for the contract extension to come, it would just happen because it made so much sense. It's like, okay, clearly this guy's getting extended. The franchise has bought it. He's bought into the franchise. They're doing this together. 
done and dusted. So the, I think the, you know, part of what stems of this stress is like, why is this not just happening? It makes, feels like it makes sense for every side. So, um, you know, I don't know if there's much more to say than that. Well, I mean, that's just, it's the middle of June. People are going to talk about it because they have nothing else to talk about at this point. Um, it kind of is what it is. It would, like you said, it would make sense for both sides to sit down at this point in time to, to make something happen. I just don't think that that's happening. Yeah. Um, by the way, to clarify the playing weight. So he played around 205 to 208. Um, he currently weighs 220 um, is what he said. So um, there you go. We'll see if that changes anything. Maybe that makes him a little bit, you know, physically stronger in terms of like taking hits and, you know, but the thing always has been that he doesn't take that many hits, took more last year, but he's able to avoid those things. So we'll see if that changes him at all in the field. Um, and um, yeah, so um, he will make $23 million in his uh, fifth year option. Um, so there you go. That's Lamar Jackson front. Not a ton else out of, out of Ravens OTAs. I, nobody got hurt. Yeah, that's sweet. But, or mandatory minicamp, excuse me. Nobody got hurt, so that's good. That hasn't been a, yeah. a theme. No, I mean, I, I made the joke about Tavon Young last week, and another week went by, and he didn't get hurt. Not a Raven, but, but still, something to hang your hat on. What, do you know that he didn't get hurt? I'm just going to assume that he didn't get hurt. I thought it was always safe to assume he did get hurt. but No, he turned a new leaf. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, yeah, he's, he's uh, he might be the... I mean, recently, one of the most healthy guys in the league. He's back. I mean, Tavon Young's back. Oh, yeah. He's rolling. Um, on the Orioles front, I, I, this is what I'll say, and I will admit that I did not get a chance to watch a ton of this Tampa Bay series just because the times of the games were not aligning with other things I was doing in my life. But the Orioles scrap. They just win. They win close games. I was just saying to you guys before we, like, jumped on, you know, every team – gets blown out. It felt like over the past three, three years, the Orioles got blown out all the time. This team doesn't really get blown out. I love that we, when we talk about the Orioles, it's like grading on this enormous curve of just awful baseball for a while. Um, but they just continue to be scrappy and fun to watch. And like all the Rays have done for the last three years is just dominated the Orioles. They're no longer dominating the Orioles. And they continue to deal with what is, you know, the AL East just continues to be an absolute monster. And the Orioles week after week when they play these ALS East teams, they deal with these series in a pretty competitive way. So it's encouraging. I mean, you look at their five and three against Boston. They are four and nine against New York, which think about that. They've already played 13 games against the Yankees. The Yankees are on like a historic run right now. Historic run right now. Yep. And the Orioles have gotten <laughs> again. I mean, how many games have they lost? 12, 16, 16, I think, right? Seven. I think they lost their 17th game last night. They blew like an eight three lead last night. And four of their losses are to the Orioles. And uh, Banks, I know what you're thinking when you're when you're giggling like that. This is this, I mean, this fall down, this collapse is gonna be an all-timer. It's going to be all time. I can't wait. The meltdown is going to be incredible. They're going to be put in a really, really tough spot if they go out and win 110 games and then lose in the ALDS or the ALCS with, with Aaron Boone because he was, he was as good as dead after last season, and then they kept him around, and then the internet dragged everyone or dragged the Yankees for keeping him around, and now he's doing great, obviously. But if he falls apart – 
you know, are they going to measure him against the the 162 games that got them there? Or are they going to measure it against the, the playoff failure? The, so. yeah, the, lack, the lack of postseason success. I don't can know. I just, can I, can I say this about, about Aaron Boone quickly? Because I have been, I become within a, a, a circle of, of friends, a bit of an Aaron Boone defender, my guy Booney. So I don't, we haven't really talked about that much. Um, but my, my friends, Ben, Jake, I, Ben, who's a huge Yankees fan, hates Aaron Boone, absolutely hates him and, um, has approved of his job. I just want to say a couple things about Aaron Boone really quickly. Um, these are his records as a Yankee manager, 162, 103 and 59, 33 and 27 short in year, 92 and 70. And he's they're 49 and 16 or 49 and 17 or whatever it is. I'm on Wikipedia. So maybe they haven't updated for last night. He's 11 and 11 in the playoffs. So obviously like not the, you know, the Yankees great on a world series standard. Fair enough. Like the fact that this guy is just gotten derided by everyone in New York for what he like, they win every year. Like his years are way better than the last few years of Girardi. Like Girardi was a and Girardi just got fired by the Phillies, a guy that they all beloved because he won one world series and didn't really do that much after. Yeah, he give won, Aaron he Boone won, a like chance. Decade team too. Yeah, give Aaron Boone a chance. Like, what are we doing? Like, Aaron, those teams are good every single year. They make the playoffs every single. I know that's not the Yankee standard. I understand that they want to win the World Series every year. They haven't won one in, since two thousand nine, and Girardi won the World Series. But like, Girardi, Girardi, never won a hundred games except for the two thousand nine. Never doing a Yankee segment. Never won a hundred games after the World Series season. Never won a hundred games. Like. Maybe Aaron Boone's just a regular season manager. Maybe he'll go and they'll, like Banks said, they'll be in a tough spot. He'll lose in the ALDS, get upset, and everyone will be pissed. But, like, man, this guy got to do to get a little respect. Respect Booney. Hashtag respect Booney. Yeah. Re-two-pecked Booney. He's also just good on good with the media. Seems like a nice guy. No, he whines. He's thrown out of a game, like, once a week, and he's – Yeah, but he's emotional style like he does. Booney. Like, I'm a booty guy. My guy, not even the best manager in his city. Let me tell you what: Booney versus Buck in the World Series. Ah, two of my guys. I'd love it. I'd love that, it. The by the way, if if we're gonna get, obviously the Orioles are not gonna make the World Series. Well, we'll see. A Mets Yankees World Series would, I mean, just be absolutely tremendous. I would, would love every second of it that. It would maybe save baseball. I yeah, gonna, I would love it. I mean, the sub would bring this. I know everyone will get upset because it'll be super New York centric, but that that those two fan bases going little brother, big brother. Oh my god, inject that into my veins. Give us that. If you're looking for a storyline, I mean, there, there's no other better storyline than Yankees Mets in a world. It league. would be so good, like a Max Scherzer, so- Garrett Cole. Oh, oh, that would be that was a double. Oh, that yeah, was the that same was, time. Was, oh, for that was me good. and RDT. That was good. That was good. Um, but yeah, we'll go. We'll go back to the Orioles if you guys didn't have any more Yankee stuff. No, I just had to. I had to get my on-air defense of Aaron Boone in there. I've been waiting for an opportunity to drop that, to drop my adoration for Aaron Boone into a into a X of the two podcast. It just hasn't worked out, but mostly because no one probably cares about this at all. But I just need to get that out on the record to the public. Again, four nine against the Yankees. Played a ton of games. <laughs> And then they're four and five against Tampa, which which Taylor you said I think they went one and eighteen against them last year. Something insane, some yeah, crazy stat. It was in, it was nuts. And then they're two and two against Toronto this year, and they went up and I mean, they made Kevin Gosman look like not the guy who got what one hundred and ten million dollars from them. I mean, they embarrassed, and he said it. He was like, "Yeah, that was embarrassing." Like he's like, "I got it." People were mad at his comments too. I didn't really think they were too bad. Where 
all he said was they were embarrassing. We shouldn't lose to that team. And he's right. And, but spoiler alert, he did. Um, yeah, again, they're, I mean, they're, they're playing well. The, the, the bullpen has just been outstanding. It's unbelievable. The starting pitching is kind of starting to fall apart with Bruce Zimmerman was a fun story uh, to lead off the year. And he's down, currently at AAA. He has been awful. I don't know if he's tipping, if he's just flat out telling them what's coming, but he has been terrible the last like six or seven starts. Um, Tyler Wells seems like the guy who they wanted to pick in the rule five draft. And you're seeing why they picked him now. He's kind of a bulldog out there. Jordan Lyles missed yesterday's game. It turned into a bullpen game 20 minutes before the game started. So that wasn't great. But again, they pulled it out. Um, they just, again, like you said, we've, we say it all the time. They just play hard. They're never out of a game, really. I mean, the offense is unbelievable. The offense is very fun to watch. Adley's hitting the ball well. Mountcastle is really, really turning into a good hitter. Um, and just a good baseball player. Trey's still mashing. Um, Hayes has been unbelievable, too. This team is just... Mateo makes plays on defense that you've never seen out of a shortstop. It's just, it's very fun to watch. And they're 9-8 and eight in June right now after going 14-16 and 16 in May. So... They're they're right there, you know. They're kind of hovering right around that eight games back or eight games under five hundred, ten games under five hundred. But again, I mean, they're right there. They're they're playing good baseball, and like I said, they're never out of a game. And they just, I'm not turning off the game in the fourth inning when they're down eleven to one, being like, well, this is over. And that's that's one of the big differences from this, you know, this year to last year. It's kind of an interesting stretch. I think I think like three or four weeks ago we talked about um, the fact they were going to have some manageable series coming up. Um, they had the, you know, the, the series against Kansas city, which they won. Uh, oh no, I'm back too far. Excuse me. They had blah, blah, blah. Seattle, which they lost the series. They went to Cleveland lost the series again. And I was kind of like, Oh, well, I mean, if you're not going to beat those teams, like then you're going to go against this stretch of AL East teams. They beat the Cubs in the one game they played split with Kansas city and then manage these two AL East series really well at Toronto, as you said, a split. And then they win the series against Tampa. Now, you got to win these two games at home against the Nationals. And if you can win these two games against the Nationals and get back to like, I'm not saying they're like going to march towards 500 here, but they like start to have a little bit of an opportunity. Um, they're going to have to play a little bit better on the road. They're, I think they're 17 and 16 at home. Um, yeah, 13 and 22 on the road. But they have a chance if they can, you know, I think Chicago, um, they go play four at Chicago, who's under 500. They go to Seattle, who's under 500. Then they got to deal with at Minnesota, which is going to be tough. Um, but then they're home for Texas. Then they have seven games, home, July 4th to July 10th, home for the Rangers, and then four games against Mike Trout and the Angels. And, like, those are going to be winnable home series. Like, if you – like, they could start to, like, manufacture their way to, like, the five games under 500 or 4-3. And, like, then you start to have visions of, like, maybe they can get this back to 500 by the end of the year if they can just, like, pick – I know it's easy to say, pick off enough wins. But, like – I used to look at the schedule and think like, oh, well, that's like a sweep or that's clearly a series loss. You're lucky to get one out of three or something. And they don't they yeah. don't face a, a winning team for the rest of the month here. So this is a big opportunity for them to make up some ground. Yeah. So if you can do some things, especially with these starting with these two games against the Nationals, I think those if you can rip off those two wins and get to 32 and 36 or get to 32 and 38, like you never know where they could be by like the middle of July which would be, you know, I, it's not like a playoff race, but it's at least would be, I think a race to 500 would be very fun for Orioles fans. As crazy as that sounds like if they like got it back to 500, I think that would be like a really fun story. And like, I would like celebrate it. Like, oh, this is great. Like they're competitive. I root, 
I remember when the Wizards did that. There was like a there was like a span where the Wizards hadn't been 500 in like six years. It was like five years or something like that. And <clears throat> there was like this buzz. You were watching every game. Like, can they do it? Can this be it? And it, you know, it was like it was a crazy span in between being at 500. And I think you're right. Like, I think the Orioles could do that too. Like, I think there's something. And again, it's just it's showing the fans like, hey, look, this is working. I think we all know you can see that this process is working and then again, creeping up towards 500 is, I, I think that's part of it. Um, I tweeted this yesterday. So they won their 30th game of the year yesterday, 30 and 38 right now. Last year, it took them 92 games to win their 30th. It took them 68 this year. Like that's again, it's like, if you, there are a lot of Elias non-believers or these people who just root against him for whatever reason. I think that's the kind of stuff you have to look at and be like, look, like, there's a process and, and there's a plan and it's working. So again, if you're not, I mean, if you're not seeing it, then I, I can't really help you. But again, the pieces, and again, they're going to add DL hall very soon. Gunnar Henderson has been at triple a for like three weeks and he is just tormenting it. Same thing with Jordan Westberg. There are guys that they're going to add in the next couple of weeks. And, and it, it's, you know, again, they're just adding more of these, these pieces to the end of the puzzle. So, and again, it's all, it's all led by Adley and his, I mean, he's done, him catching has been great. I mean, you you see it on the tags, on the framing, on how he's calling the games. It's it's electric. Him going out and greeting the uh, the pitcher that seems to have everyone up in 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 a frenzy, and I love it. So people people uh, again, I think people really are starting to believe and and acknowledge like, hey, this is this seems like the tide is starting to turn here. Yeah, they. I think Nathan Ruiz had the tweet. I just put it in front of me. Games it took the Orioles to reach thirty wins. 2018, 104. 2019, 96. 2020 is a wash. 2021, 92. 2022, 68. They're making progress. And again, this is against the division that's arguably, I mean, it's the best division in baseball by far. And again, you're going up a team doing historic things right now. So, I mean, if they're in the AL Central, they may be over 500 right now. I think it's safe to say that. Um. The other stat to confirm it from my guy Connor Newcomb, his locked on Orioles podcast. It was one in eighteen against the Rays last year. Yeah. They Four were, and five this year. And I think two years ago they were one in eighteen against the Yankees. And you know, it's 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 basically whoever wins the division absolutely owns the Orioles. And right now, again, if if I mean again, through 13 games, if you're four and nine against this Yankee team, I think you're okay with that. I think you're more than okay with it. One hundred percent. I also saw another interesting stat, and I forget who who said it today, and I'll credit them if I could find it. I don't think I can, though. The y- Yankees' loss yesterday was their first loss after um, leading by three. The only other team that hasn't lost after being up three, the Orioles, which... The Orioles' bullpen. It's, I get, Jorge Lopez, did you see? Someone else tweeted me this. Jorge Lopez's stats are better right now through the same amount of games than Zach Britton was in 2016. It seems hard to like wrap your head around, and I'm. Well, trying it's just to different to it. It's just different to interpret when the team's winning and, and losing because well, there's that, obviously so much more positive momentum. So, so here we go. I'll read this out. 2016 Zach Britton appearances through 20 through 28 appearances. 093 ERA, 29 innings, 13 hits, three earned runs, 33 Ks, seven walks, one home run. Guys are hitting 134 off him. Jorge Lopez, buck 80 or 082, 33 innings. 15 hits, three runs, 34 Ks, 13 walks, zero home runs. Guys are hitting 134 against him. I mean, he's, I was joking around saying like the Orioles could have like four all-stars with like Austin Hayes, 
Trey Mancini, you could argue Keegan Aiken and Jorge Lopez. And it's like, now it's like, you know, they may, I don't know. I mean, Jorge Lopez, hundred percent deserves to go. Hayes deserves to go. Trey deserves to go. So there's a few guys. That's what so it's making this year fun. It's like they, this isn't going to be a Ty Wigginton year where they just get someone in because of the worst rule in sports. So uh, by the way, I read a, an article, uh, got it back in front of me from David Schoenfeld uh, from ESPN. They did like a way too early um, oh, all-star yeah. roster. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did not appreciate the tone of this with Jorge Lopez. Not that the Orioles are ripping it up, but we need somebody from the Orioles, and Lopez has actually been good. I mean, come on. That's that's the lazy take, being like, I don't watch the Orioles, and I'm just going to look up the stats. They've honestly. got more wins than 10 other teams in the bigs. It's like they're, they're not the worst team in the league. Like I, I, don't, I know that's like you know easy for me to like sit here and say and like that national writers aren't necessarily paying attention to that, but like, come on. Like, what, what are we doing? Yeah, be better. They're, they're not like, they're not the worst team. Like they're not an embarrassment. So like, you can't, you can't keep doing that. Like the Royals are 23 and 42. The A's are 23 and 45. The Nats are 24 and 46. The Reds are 23 and 43. The Cubbies are 25 and 41. Look I mean, at a team on. like the Tigers who spent $150 million this off season. That's the, that's the other thing. Like if the Orioles would have gotten spent $150 million in the off season and then been 28 and 45 or whatever, they'd be getting shit on. And it's like, where, where is, I know we talked about a couple of weeks ago with the angels. Like, why aren't they, you know, the butt of more jokes? Like why aren't these teams who spent money in the off season and are in our ass? Like, why aren't they getting the Orioles treatment? Why aren't they bad for baseball? There was an article about how the, how owners were mad at the A's because they used their money. They kept their money and then traded everyone away. And it's like, I thought that was the only the Orioles. By the way. And, and we can complete the Orioles discussion with this, with a little bit of this, um, you know, going back to the story from last week with the Angelos family. And I think that the newest thing that came out was major league baseball, like reached out to Cal Ripken about being a part of an ownership group. I think that like when the team is sold, he's clearly going to be some part of the ownership group. I think that was a rumor even before we've gotten to this point. If a team is going to move, it's going to be Oakland. Has to be. It, I, mean, I, mean, I mean, that's the team. That's why the, by the way, that's why the Orioles, the other reason why the Orioles are not moving because that team's moving so clearly before the Orioles, mm-hmm. they have no stadium situation. They have no fans. Like I, I know the Orioles attendance has been super bad, but like there are 23,000 people at the yard on father's day the other day. Like they're actually putting people in the ballpark when the team gets better. Like the A's, even if they're good, no one, I mean, that, that, I mean, we can bring someone from Oakland on if they want to defend this, but like, there's the, and part of that is not their fault. Part of that is not the fans' fault. Like they have such a bad stadium situation, it's a horrible experience to go watch the games. And there's no stadium in sight. Like they're gonna put it what you know in Santa Clara or some random other California town that's not Oakland. Vegas. Like that team's that team will get moved before the Orioles. Just, they should. Like, like, they had five thousand people on their opening night. Five K. It's like a sad situation. It's a sad yeah. situation, first of all, because they've got awesome history and they have awesome uniforms and there's like a brand there and you have Moneyball, so you have that brand, you have the Bash Brothers. Like they have things that have happened. And they've got very, very cultish fans. Like they have yeah. fans that are super hardcore about it, much like the Black Hole for the Raiders. So yeah. it's And I, it would be... suck. It would also suck as we podcast from a town that's had multiple teams leave for them to lose the baseball team too and the after ball. they've lost the NFL and you know I know the Warriors are still there but they play in San Francisco they don't play in Oakland anymore like that's just tough 
Like, that's tough. Like, imagine being a sports fan there. Like, I guess you still identify with the Warriors. So you just had a team win a title, and but it's still not. They're not playing in your city anymore. They still got up and moved from the Oracle, which was like I'm sure a place where there's a lot of pride and what the fans were like there. It was so loud. Like they have great fans there in that city, and they just. They just, the stadium situations. I mean, the Oakland Coliseum is just, oof. I don't even know what the Oakland Coliseum is called anymore. I think it's called the Oakland Coliseum. Oh, it's just, oh, currently branded oh. as Ring Central Coliseum. Yeah, oof. I did not know that. It's brutal. Oh, we just... should, starting five of stadium names. Okay. Mark okay. that one down. Yeah, mark that one down. Mark that one down. I'm trying to figure out on the fly what the, uh, what the, um, current plan of attack is for a Oakland state Vegas Vegas is the plan of attack to move the team to Vegas yeah there there were renderings and everything we were getting yeah I love renderings I hope I hope they somehow stay in Oakland but I yeah that team that team will definitely move before uh, before the Orioles uh let's get to our interview uh we tease it at the top um former Maryland star Nick Cantor Medley joined the show this week, had a 16-year professional career to give you some context before we jump on. We talk about it with him. Um, but that's amazing to play overseas for 16 years. And RDT has some like really good questions at the top about like what that's like. And I think we just like guys go overseas that you watch play in college. You just don't think about like what that career looks like. You're just like, oh, that's cool. They're playing in Madrid or in Turkey or in, you know, whatever Israel. Um, but that's a heck of a lifestyle and, um, he has some great, you know, sort of notes about that. And that was really fun that we got into all the Maryland stuff, um, you, you could want. And uh, I think there's stones to be left unturned, so I'm sure we'll have him on again. But let's get into to the interview with Nick Kaner Medley. Something magic happens. We're back here on the exit 52 podcast with Maine legend, Maryland legend, really a citizen of the world at this point and someone that we have a segment named down this on the show we'll get to that nick hater medley nick thanks so much for joining the show gotta start you out with this what a professional career you've put together you know you just announced your retirement um you played all over the world what is it like for your kind of basketball journey at least in the playing sense um to kind of have come to a close and you're sort of proud of what you've accomplished over the years yeah i appreciate the intro um it's a little bit surreal um, you know, I, I thought about when the time would come through the last few years. I mean, from like 33 on every year could have potentially been the last year. You know, it really just came down to health, how my body felt, how the off season went, what opportunities I had. But yeah, I am proud of it. I'm proud of the longevity. I mean, I had to, to make a lot of sacrifices off the court diet wise to be able to have longevity. So, um, you know, the thing I'm most satisfied with is not having any regrets. You know, I feel like um, you know, I did the things that I needed to do to have the longevity, to have the success over a long period of time. Um, you know, so I feel, feel no regrets, which is the, the which is the best part. Um, you know, it is a little bit bittersweet, but I definitely, you know, played as long as I could. A lot of vets told me just, you know, play as long as you possibly can. I, I definitely took heed to that and definitely did play as long as I could. And, and the funny thing is like, as I'm I've retired, I retired last week, you mentioned, like I've retired from playing basketball, period. Like no, I've been asked to do like some three on three TBT. Like, <laughs> when I like I retired, I definitely got all I could out of out of the wheels and uh, ran them till they fell off. And so I'm definitely done playing, with the exception of what maybe with my daughter and some games of who, uh, like pig or whatever. That definitely it for me. And now, 
tell us something that the, I, I don't know, like a casual fan, something that people don't know about playing overseas. Cause I think a lot of people are just like, yeah, it's just basketball overseas. And like, that's not it at all. It's like, like you mentioned, like the, I mean, your diet has to change your lifestyle has to change your, I feel your social life has to change. What, what's something that I guess we don't know about that you've experienced playing over there? Um, there's a lot of levels to your point of playing in Europe. You know, I, I've met a lot of people who are like, Oh, my boy, Charlie plays overseas. And, you know, I pretty much have a, I, I'm, you know, a student of the game and have a pretty good idea of a lot of people that play at, at a high level in Europe. And a lot of times I'd hear names that I hadn't heard. And I think one of the things that people don't realize is how many kind of tiers there are and, and how much of a process it is to sort of get to the highest levels. I mean, it's really a grind with the exception of, you know, a guy like myself who was, was fortunate to play at a place like Maryland where I had, you know, kind of right on the fringe of being in the NBA. I had opportunities because of my resume out of college at the high level, one of the highest levels right away. But most of the time, and even through that scope, you really have to, you know, work over years to, to work your way up. Um, you know, it, there's not a lot of margin for error. If you have one bad year and you're an American because they can only have so many Americans, it can really like hurt your trajectory. So you have to be successful pretty much every year. There's not like more than one year deals. It takes a while for you to get multi-year deals. So I had like seven one-year contracts in a row in the early part of my career. Um, you know, so I think that's one of the things is just how many levels there are and how much, you know, in the 16 years since I left Maryland, went overseas, how much basketball has developed over there as well. And, you know, how big it is over there. I mean, there's, you know, obviously in the NBA, it's the biggest league in the world. It's the highest level. Um, but you know, in Spain and EuroLeague and Asia, like there's a lot of leagues where if you're playing over there, it's not as big as soccer, but you know, you are recognized. It's definitely, um, you know, it, it's an incredible experience uh, to play over there. So I just think the, the, the different levels and, and how broad the kind of different places you can be in your career over there is something a lot of people don't know. It's not just like Europe, like it's one league, you know what I mean? There's a lot of different mm -hmm. levels in Europe and um, you know, it was a fun process to kind of see that and experience it. Was there ever a point where maybe your first couple of weeks or months where you went over there and maybe you were looking for somewhere to go or you were trying to read directions or get directions somewhere and you couldn't communicate? And are you going, holy hell, what did I get myself into? Like, I can't find a McDonald's and it's 3 a.m. I just like, I like, was there ever that moment? Like, what am I going to do? Like, what's what's going on? Absolutely. The first the first place I went to was because um, when I left Maryland, I broke my foot. After I signed with Detroit in summer league, I had a navicular fracture, which, um, you know, ended up being like a six to eight month prognosis of how long I was going to be out. So I missed pretty much my whole first year out of college, which was a challenge in, in, in and of itself. Uh, but I went, the first place I went professionally was this small town in Germany, um, this team that was fighting to get in the playoffs and it was called Artland. And there was only a few thousand people in the town. Um, and nobody spoke English, like you'd said. And I was, you know, kind of in the middle of nowhere by myself, this small town. And, and I was really questioning, like, what am I doing here? Like, I don't know about this. And is this is what is this what all of European basketball looks like? Because I had no context. I had no idea. Um, so I just kept my head down for the couple months I was there and then, you know, went to summer league. But to, yeah, man, when I first got over there, I was I was just like, I don't know. 
I remember a couple of conversations I had with my dad where I was just like, I don't know, man, maybe I should come back and just grind it out in the D league and, and go that route. Um, but you know, I, I then obviously had a couple other opportunities over there and was like, okay, in some places like Madrid and some of these other, uh, bigger European cities, the experience was completely different. And, uh, you know, I didn't look back. I was going to say, what was the, what was the, the weirdest transition of any of those? You say you have seven one-year contracts. You have no like security of where you're going to live. Like, what was it like to transition culture to culture, community to community and get not only settled from a basketball sense, so you've got to learn a bunch of new teammates, but also, you know, culturally you've got to kind of figure out when you get to Madrid or you go to, you know, a place like Maccabi Tel Aviv, it's just like a, you know, historic team and has had a ton of success. Like, what is it like to go like year to year in different squads? Like that's just totally different than how we look at basketball here. Where it's like, all right, you sign with the Wizards, you're there for four or five years. Yeah, yeah, it was it was intense during the summer. It was, during the season, I, I'd say that you know it was relatively stressful because I put a lot of pressure on myself uh, to not take any steps backwards. I always challenge myself to kind of uh, take a step forward each year. Obviously, as it being a profession, like my scoreboard was not only clubs that had a good reputation, but also making more money. Like I wanted to make more money every year. And that was a way for me to gauge if I was, you know, taking steps forward in my career. And with a one year deal, uh, if you had an injury, if you had a bad stretch of games, like it can really derail that. Uh, so it made me hold myself accountable during the summer. That's for damn sure. Like I, I couldn't take as much time off. Like I used to love to like pretend I wasn't a basketball player for, you know, like a month when the season was over and go back to Maine and hang out with my buddies and, you know, get a mini gut and then start working out again. <laughs> but like, I realized pretty quickly that that wasn't going to be a, you know, sustainable way to continue to, to build. And so I had to just dial in during the summers right away at a pretty young age in my, you know, middle twenties, I realized in order for me to do this, I have to be getting better during the summer and really making those sacrifices to be at the highest the best level I could be, you know, so it was some like real self-awareness look in the mirror moments early of like, you know, uh, I'm going to have to really, you know, change some of the things that I did not only on the court, but off the court in order to do this. And, you know, I found kind of like the blueprint for me of what that looked like. And then I just stuck with it. Yeah. So let's go back a bunch of years. You ended up at Maryland from Maine of all places, Mr. Maine. That's a, a lot of people love to throw that label on you. How did you end up at Maryland playing for Gary Williams? Um, the recruiting process, I, I played, my dad's from Los Angeles, so I played for, he took me out to uh, L.A. when I was going into my junior year, and I played with Pump and Run and kind of did the AAU circuit with them. Um, and uh, Jimmy Patsos was at one of the Pump and Run events, and I was started to be recruited kind of like by him and Dave and, and Dickerson, some of the assistants and built a relationship with them. Uh, you know, then I met Gary and, you know, I was recruited pretty by a lot of schools, a lot of top schools at that time. But, you know, for me, Maryland was just the right fit personalities of the coaching staff, the opportunity to play right away, being on the East coast. Um, you know, it was kind of like, I, I felt like it was, it was a no brainer for me when I, when I looked at the whole situation. So that's kind of how it happened. I was pretty off the radar, like Maine, hadn't really produced any high level division one players to speak of. Um, you know, so it took me a while to get my name on the radar and in the mix through those AAU tournaments. But once I did, um, you know, I had some offers quick and then visited Maryland. 
Uh, and then once I got a chance to come to Maryland, meet some of the guys on the team, Blake at that time, Drew Nicholas, um, you know, some of the other guys on, on the team, some of the vets, like I felt really comfortable. And that's ultimately why I decided to go there. Now, you mentioned those two guys, and I'm, I'm going to bring up the video, which I think you were in, that summer camp video at, at the Gary Williams camp of yeah. Blake and Gilchrist going at it. I think you were holding Blake back? Were you, was that, were you in the video? I think so. I can't yeah. remember. Yeah, so it was uh, – man, that was a wild situation. So Gilchrist, <laughs> Gilchrist was my roommate. At the time, it was the summer before our freshman year. We were doing, like, the summer workouts. Um, and what you couldn't see in the video, which was one of the reasons why, it's like I look back and I'm like, why the did I break that up? I should have just let it ride. Um, it was because <laughs> what you didn't see is, dude, this was a summer camp. Like, the, the, the fans, there was a bunch of kids, little kids and their parents in the stands. It wasn't like a closed doors team only scrimmage we were having a scrimmage because we were like the counselors playing in front of the kids at the end of the, at the end, end of the day uh and so I guess I just kind of saw Gilchrist catch Blake with a jab and then I saw a little bit of a buckle and then I just figured it would now would be the time to just break this up for a number of reasons mostly because there's a bunch of kids around so it was like a knee-jerk reaction if I were to do it all over again with even with the kids taking into consideration I would have let it go uh, but it's wild, dude. How, I mean, how many times that thing has come back on, like, I've, I haven't had Twitter. I just got on Twitter, but I've always had Facebook and how many times I've been tagged or in that video and seen that video has been crazy. Uh, but yeah, it was tough. And then Blake had taken us both like under his wing when we came in and we'd been at his, at his apartment quite a bit. And, and so there were so many parts of it that made me feel like this just isn't a, an appropriate time for a, for a one-on-one so yeah but that was me breaking it up and I've gotten a lot of shit did you did you have it you have any insight on like what the root of that was was Gilchrist just trying to to make a name for himself as a newcomer and kind of like new guy at prison got to beat up the the big bad kid on the block or what's going on there I think Gilchrist like he was very like wanted to make show that he wasn't intimidated but there's like that fine line between showing that you're not intimidated and being disrespectful to a, a, a senior who just won a national championship. Um, and I think he kind of crossed that line of like being a little too comfortable and maybe, you know, kind of tiptoeing that line of like, this is a, like almost a little bit cocky to like really step to Blake that way and, and come at him the way he was trying to in that scrimmage uh, and being physical. And like, you see the way it started, like Gilchrist was really close up on him and, I think it was just a key to the moment competitive thing. I think that Blake was just wanted, you know, like Blake is a very competitive guy and doesn't back down from any, any type of confrontation. So I think he was just setting the tone early, like young fella, you're not going to come in here and like try to show me up or, you know, have that type. I mean, I respect the competitiveness, but I think he was just kind of drawing the line. I think it was more Blake just drawing the line at, at an early stage than anything else. It's, it's funny, too, because you talked about how it was at the Gary Williams camp and you were in front of these friends and families. Kid I went to high school with, his dad is the one that filmed that. So, like, on the big VHS, you know, like, recorder. So every time that video goes viral, which, again, is maybe twice a year, it's always like, oh, in this day in 2003 or whatever, um, yeah. he's always like, oh, there's my dad, like, yelling out, like, stop, stop, as you guys are, like, as they're fighting in the middle of the court. Um, 
So that it's always funny for me to remember that. But then again, you talked about how Blake kind of took you and Gilchrist under, you know, his wing. I mean, I'm looking at the roster right now. When you come onto that team and you have Ryan Randall and Taj Holden and Blake and, I mean, legend Mike Grennan, Chris McRae, Drew Nicholas, John Gilchrist, I mean, those are names that Maryland fans just, I mean, we go nuts over. What was it like, you know, again, being a freshman, coming in, new kid on the block, and, again, the guys are wearing the rings. They just won a championship. What was it like for you to walk into that locker room and just kind of like, holy crap, like I'm on, I'm on a team with these guys. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. Part of being from Maine and being in a, from a small town that doesn't have a lot of basketball history or basketball culture, which no disrespect to Maine in terms of internally, there's, there's history and culture, but as far as like nationally, um, I was a little bit ignorant to the stage and exactly the and I mean, at that age, you're 18 and it's almost a pro. It's almost like a, 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 a pro that you're so young, you don't even realize really what you're getting into. Um, you know, so I came in kind of like, you know, wet behind the ears, you know, deer in headlights and, you know, didn't even really know what I was getting myself into, um, you know, and, and just took it one day at a time. Uh, and it wasn't until my career went on and, you know, that I really got an idea and understanding of exactly the platform I was on and the stage and like how, you know, the, the significance of it. Um, but, you know, I obviously came in, you know, really humbled by the opportunity. Like I knew I had to prove myself being from Maine. Like I really had a chip on my shoulder about that to prove that I, that I belonged and to prove that I could hold my own. Um, so that's really what it is. I came in, you know, a little bit ignorant and also with just a lot to prove and a chip on my shoulder because of where I was from. What was it like playing in front of Maryland fans? I mean, I think we, you know, we have all experienced that as, you know, being in the crowd and, and cheering it on. And you were, you obviously didn't play in Cole. You played in the first season of what is now Xfinity center and played through that, but you were coming in in maybe the most raucous time in, in Maryland basketball history in terms of the fan connection with the national championship and all of those things. What was it like playing in front of that crowd? And when you played in front of it the first couple of times, you're like, all right, now I've kind of got an understanding of like the stage I'm on and what I've gotten myself into here, you know, not only at home games, but also playing throughout the ACC, which is obviously, you know, sort of at the height of its powers in that like 10 year stretch, you know, mid nineties, late nineties, early two thousands. Yeah, I think that the Midnight Madness was like a really good orientation for me because that was the first experience I had playing in front of that many people in that environment. And so like Midnight Madness at that time, we come out, it was the first uh, at the Comcast Center, it was the first time that we'd been in there. The, the arena had just been built. Uh, so it was, it, I, I, rem, I remember it, vaguely remember it because it was such like a, like, blur of an experience the you know um i remember being in the game just trying to dunk everything i just i i, I like wasn't even comfortable shooting i just wanted to dunk everything uh and so it was just you know getting uh comfortable with it because at first my adrenaline it was like how do i manage uh my adrenaline um you know and so i, I got comfortable and i was fortunate to play quite a bit as a freshman so I just, you know, would obviously at the beginning, because I had never really been in those atmospheres, like the first couple of minutes was, a, there was a little bit of nerves, but I would usually just find a way to, you know, get myself going. And then I would just, you wouldn't even really notice it, but uh, playing a lot as a freshman kind of gave me a crash course to get used to the environment, but the fans were incredible, man. I mean, people talk a lot about Cameron Indoor and those nerdy ass fans and, you know, a lot other places that you can play and 
I don't think Maryland fans get enough credit, or at least when, when I was coming up, as being like other opposing teams and players knew how difficult it was to play there. But I didn't really hear the same type of narratives around playing there as some of these other uh, quote-unquote tough places to play. Like when we went down my sophomore year and beat Florida, that was known as like one of the toughest places to play. But I felt like Maryland was was a really, really legit home court advantage um, because our fans were knowledgeable about the game, but also like savage with the stuff that 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 they would say to opposing players. Um, so it was like this mix that was pretty unique for a lot of the places I played. I, I mean, the, the atmosphere there still is. I'm sure I haven't been able to be back to a game in, you know, 16 years. Um, but I'm looking forward to going back and, and uh, being in that environment again. But, you know, I remember it being incredible a place to play. Probably one of the best environments I've played in my whole career. What's the most memorable thing the student section said about an opposing player? Do you have anyone that sticks out? Yeah, they used to give JJ a lot of shit. Like, they got his, their hands on his real cell phone number. Uh, and he said to me in the game, like, when it, he was he, – because he – JJ was uh, – you know, you see him now and you see his personality a bit more and he's on, like, first take. But he's also always been, like, a smart guy, like, pretty, you know, relatively cool guy. And uh, he had even said some, something in the game about, like, dude, that's actually my cell phone number. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> you know? Uh, so I think that that was one of the most memorable ones because I can't even imagine with his cell phone number, like somebody holding it up in the stands, what, you know, some of the feedback was at that time. So that was probably one of the most memorable ones as far as somebody really getting it. And, and fans would give, I remember Julius Hodge, they used to get on quite a bit, but JJ was, was the, the lowest hanging fruit, man. I think he was the easiest target and people used to get after him quite a bit. Julius Hodge is the low-key most memorable guy that every Maryland fan hated. Like everyone talks about all the Duke guys, and that's like that's because it's easy because everyone hates the Duke guys. I could not stand Julius Hodge as a kid. I remember as like an eleven-year-old, like I cannot stand Julius Hodge. At NC State tournament game, a couple times in games, I wasn't a, a huge fan playing against him. But uh, you know, as I got to know him a little bit, he was he was a character, a pretty funny guy. Um, I think he ended up was I think he ended up getting shot after basketball. Oh, I saw a story Jeez. where coming out of a club and might have been a different. I thought it was J, uh, Julius Hodge, but he definitely had that type of mouth where he was always talking shit. So it wouldn't, it wouldn't really surprise me. Now, who, who were the big trash talkers on Maryland at that time? Because, like, I'm sure I'm sure there were some guys on, on Maryland who could talk it, too. Um, I don't know. Like when. When I was a freshman, we didn't really have anybody that in the games. I, it's interesting because I don't really remember anybody on my team who was, like, known for, for talking shit or, or, or would get into it with people in the games. Um, so I don't know that I have, have one there. You know, there'd be – we talk a lot in, like, the, the scrimmages and in practice. And, like, we had, you know, uh, DJ was competitive. John was really competitive. Um, but in games, we didn't really have a lot of guys that that I can remember that would, like, talk a lot of shit to opposing players. I can't remember anybody specifically. I wonder if, that, was that, I wonder if that's a Gary thing. Just wouldn't allow I th- it. I think so. I, I, that's a good point because I think that that was something that he didn't really tolerate. Um, and so it was probably that we were more focused on, you know, he did a really good job of accountability and, like, there wasn't a lot of time where you could just be – 
engaged in other shit. Like he, if you were, he would call you out pretty quick. So you're probably right. I think that was probably why it just wasn't part of our team. It wasn't part of the way that we carried ourselves on the court at least. And, uh, you know, he, he was probably a big, a big part of that. Coach Williams was so revered. No, I'm going to hit you with oh, eight go ahead. words here. here. Oh, go, go ahead. ahead. No, go ahead. You have no, a follow-up. No, I was just saying he's so revered in terms of, like, what he how, what he was as a coach and all these different things. Like, what was it like playing for him? Like, I mean, we obviously see it on the outside, and you see the screaming, yelling, the sweating, you know, all the things that go into it. What was it like for you to see him every single day? Um, and obviously a guy that, you, you know, it seems like from the outside, you know, players, you know, would go out there and put everything on the line for him. You know, we, you know talking and listening to interviews and things like that, you know, you listen to Vasquez and Juan and all these guys are like, yeah, that was like my guy. Like I would put all out there for him. What was it like playing for him for you? Yeah. To your point, it was easy to get motivated. I mean, he was a guy who was big on accountability. Um, you know, you weren't going to get away with not playing a hundred percent. You definitely get called out. And I don't think that, you know, I think that we all were, were willing to run through a wall for him because we saw his intensity. When you have a coach that's working that hard on the sideline, you know, it's like, how can you justify not going hard on the court when, when your coach is, is that into the game and involved in the game? And, um, you know, he always just set that tone. You know, he, he was all about winning and, uh, you know, was animated. But, you know, off the court and in practice, too, he was, uh, you know, the same way, the same type of intensity, the same type of accountability where, you know, he wasn't messing around. There wasn't any joking around. You know, there was a time and a place for that type of stuff. But, you know, he wasn't the guy for that. Like, he wasn't going to be the guy who you were going to joke around with in practice or, you know, light moods in the huddles during the game if you're up by 20. He just never was that guy. And so I think it rubbed off on his teams where you'd have that competitiveness and that edge to you just based upon the tone that he always set. Now, I'm going to say eight words to you, one phrase. Uh, just let me know your thoughts on them. You may have heard them before. It's one of my favorite phrases. I'm from Maryland and nobody can beat me. Your thoughts. It's interesting because I never really had a chance to talk about that situation. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, to me, it's really a head scratcher. Like it may be a little bit of like a, not necessarily the most interesting story because uh, first of all, I never said that. Uh, second of all, <laughs> That, you know, like that's the one thing. And, and, and I hate to say it because, you know, I've gotten a lot of people have reached out to me and tell, tell me how much they loved it and, and stuff. Um, it was definitely a situation. It was definitely quite a scene. Uh, there was a couple of guys. I was up in Maine during the summer with a friend and uh, we were walking in an area where there's a lot of bars. And there were a couple of guys that were from North Carolina. They made it known. They recognized me they started to say some stuff to the person that I was with. Um, and so I just, you know, uh, basically started a confrontation with these guys. Um, and then there was a, a police officer on a bike that came up and these guys were just at that point, I already had my shirt off and was ready to go with these guys. And, uh, you know, they kind of like took me to the side, took those guys to the side. They took all kinds of like, quote statements from these guys and this is what they came up with I mean this is what was in their statements that's how that kind of phrase came out this was in their statements it was interesting that like the eyewitnesses that were there not a lot of their statements ever kind of made it to the forefront like I had people 
that were there that weren't even necessarily connected to me that made gave statements of what happened, how they instigated it, the stuff they were saying. And I was more reactionary, um, you know, but it's, I mean, cause if you think about it, I'm not from Maryland first. And foremost, <laughs> right? so, like there wouldn't be a situation under circumstances as much as I'm prideful about Maryland, as much as I love, you know, playing for Maryland at that time, I was in Maine, I was in my hometown and under no circumstances would I proclaim in, in an engagement with somebody like I'm from Maryland. Uh, <laughs> when I'm in Maine, where I'm from, where I'm from, I'm very proud to be from number one and number two in the, and nobody can beat me thing. It just in the context of kind of what was going on, it wouldn't really made much sense, but you know, that's kind of how those guys felt. It doesn't surprise me. Like these dudes were, you know, belligerent and uh, you know, the rest is history. But I, I think the quote's phenomenal. I mean, I thought that <laughs> once I like, once I was able to get past the wrath of Gary and like, you know, what the <laughs> different thing, there was a lot of statements that I did make that I remember making that were also in the statements that when Gary was reading off the stuff I was saying to these guys, I was like, yeah, yeah, I said that. That was unfortunate. I said that. And then the, I'm from Maryland and nobody can beat me. The one that actually stuck was like the one out of like a bunch of them that I never actually said. So I'll ride with it, you know, uh, but to be honest, now that I actually have the opportunity to speak on it, you know, uh, it was, it was definitely a, a, a situation and a confrontation, but uh, that, that, that specific quote I never said, but I will own it though, for sure. I mean, you missed out on some NIL deals with that. We could have got some t-shirts printed with that. You would, I mean, you would have been rolling it in college. Believe me, if there were NIL deals involved, I would, I would, I would tell you a whole different story. And we could, <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean, we, I'd get right behind it. I'd maybe even add some things to it, but no, I mean, in the NIL stuff is crazy now. I think it's great for college players, but it's interesting. There were some, like, I definitely had a chip on my shoulder being from Maine. And like, there was definitely some, some situations out and about where people would come at me for whatever reason. And, uh, uh, I had a few altercations at Maryland over my time there. Uh, but that was definitely one that was, uh, blown out of proportion a little bit. Uh, Wait, so co coach Williams brought you into his office and just read out the statement. Oh, we have a visitor. Clustered right now. This is Jade. Say hi, sweetie. <laughs> I've got I've got a three and a half year old, so so we've had that happen plenty of times. No worries. We have kid interruptions, and then and then Banks has his dog jumping on the show, little B, every single time. So we we have he, he's scratching at the door right now. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Co coach Williams brought you into his office and, and just read off everything you said and said, Hey, did you say this? Did you like, what was that like? That must've been wild. That was the worst part. I mean, there was getting arrested. There was the, <laughs> for the, you know, with my family, there was the embarrassment of like the diamond back and like that quote, there was the embarrassment <laughs> of, you know, a number of things that were embarrassing by far the worst part was the one-on-one -on -one when I went into the office with me and Gary and Gary's got the, you know, police report in front of him, damn near like literally shaking, you know, with this look on his face, I knew already at that point. Um, and I'm just like, I mean, I was dreading it, dude. My hands are sweating. I was fucking almost nauseous. I was so, I had so much anxiety and he just ripped it. He, he ripped into me and 
was just like, <laughs> I'd had a couple of other it, like instances, let's call it up until that point that, you know, kind of were off the radar that happened uh, stuff on campus. And so he was just like, what, you know, like, what the fuck, man? Like, what <laughs> you doing? Like, this is, and then read off a bunch of the stuff that I did say. And then like, what's anybody at, at that age going to say? I mean, although I was telling the truth, like I'm defending myself, but he wasn't really buying it. Like, he's like, yeah, I understand that, that they started it. And, but you know, you're in a situation now. And that was one of the things I learned is, is quickly is in the age of not as much social media. Um, if I was in college, uh, now and did and had some of the stuff happen when I was in college, it would have been very interesting to see, uh, with the social media stuff. But now, you know, back then there wasn't as much of that. So, um, you know, Gary was just like, you know, this is, you've been on the radar now, which is not necessarily easy to do. And, and so, you know, he was just kind of drawing the line, like this has to be the last thing. Um, and so it was definitely, uh, uh, an experience I'll never forget. That's for sure. You talked about this earlier, um, that you haven't been back to, to college park, obviously busy playing overseas. And you mentioned, it sounded like you, you were making plans to come back. Are you planning to come back? you know, anytime soon, see coach Willard, see just the, the new guys on the team. What, what is there, is there any, I guess, interest in heading back to, to college park and seeing kind of what it looks like now? Absolutely. I'm, I'm very, I'm looking forward to it. I came back um, for Blake's retirement or what was it? His hall of fame uh, induction. He had a hall of fame induction. And so I came on campus for a football game Uh but not a basket. I haven't been back for a basketball game. So I'm really looking forward to coming back and I haven't met the new coach and I just was starting to kind of through, uh, Troy, Troy Wainwright is the person who I still have the closest relationship with. Um, and so I I've stayed in touch with him and we've talked about me getting back. So I'm going to come this year for sure. Like as soon as the, the soonest opportunity that I have to come back for a game, I'm definitely going to come. I think the ovation for you as an honorary captain is going to be pretty big. I think you're going to get a very nice reception from the, uh, the College Park faithful. I hope so, man. I hope so. It's Again, been a long – I'm looking forward to it. I'll definitely make – I'll definitely be a night where I head to Bentley's. And Is it still Cornerstone next to Bentley's? Mm -hmm. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. So, I'll, uh, uh, it'll be this year at some point and looking forward to meeting the, the new coaching staff and everything. It'll be, it'll be fun for sure. And, and I'm not sure why, but again, I mean, it's, it's, there's evidence on the show. You are like a cult hero, but like normally the cult heroes are like the last guys on the bench or kind of the guy that wasn't supposed to be there. And it's like, no, like you were a stud for four years, but you're still like looked at and revered as like a cult hero. Like I told you in the DMs, like we have a whole segment on the podcast called the Nick Caner medley, Maryland man of the week. And that's just our MVP of the week. <laughs> so it's just, I don't, it's, 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 it's so funny to me just because again, like you're not, you weren't the last guy on the bench. You weren't a walk on who nobody had heard of. You were again, this, a top guy. And, and again, who played his ass off for four years. So it's just, it's always hilarious for me to think about that. I appreciate it. I, I honestly didn't even really know that. Um, but you know, it, it's, it's great to hear. And, um, you know, I, I think if it was off the heels of something like a, I'm from Maryland and nobody can beat me comment, if that was part of, of that type of 
cult following, like you called it, like if those were things that snowballed that over time, I would guess that if like some of the things that happened in Maryland off the court uh, were more public, then maybe there'd be even more tailwinds behind that. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know? You care to elaborate. <laughs> I mean, if like that type of like kind of, uh, you know, I, I definitely had a chip on my shoulder and I grew up in a small town. And so like, I would go out and I would have a good time. And there was a few instances where, you know, there was altercations that I was involved in. You know, I was involved in an altercation with a wrestler, with a football player. Um, you know, I had a couple of different instances. There was one time where my freshman year before uh, Comcast Center had opened, uh, I, it was like pretty, not that far after 9-11, so I can understand the security concerns. I went after I went out I went to the Comcast center and hopped the fence and like went into the arena and then thought everything was cool and came out to like six cop cars and, you know, Jim Patsos came into my room the next morning. Like, what were you thinking? So there was a lot of stuff that I did that, you know, uh, maybe would get people excited. You know, I, I don't really know. I'm not sure exactly what created the, that type of following or whatever. I definitely was, uh, a guy from Maine who, although I played basketball, I still like to have a good time and didn't really look at myself any different than, than any other student at Maryland. So I didn't even in my mind think of my, like, even though I was playing basketball for Maryland, I didn't, until I had some things that like were a wake up call, like you can't do this shit anymore. Like you can't be in these situations. You're representing the university. Like you're, you're representing your family. I had a couple of things that were like major wake up calls, but I really just kind of carried myself like a normal uh, college student and it took me a few situations for me to realize I couldn't kind of do the same things I would do you know at a party in Maine like you know obviously you have more eyes on you and and you're representing the university so um, we definitely had a good time at, at, at Maryland and I definitely was in the mix um, during my career more at the beginning like once I got to my junior and senior year I, I didn't really do much. I didn't go out nearly as much as I did, but it definitely was some stuff that that's why it's funny. Cause the I'm from Maryland and nobody can beat me type of situation where I got arrested. Wasn't even like, it was nothing compared to some of the shit that nobody heard. <laughs> um, you had, I, I, I want to ask you about two on court things. You had one of the more underrated, I think performances of the decade. You had 22 against Florida and you upset them in Gainesville, number one Florida. And then you had a front row seat for the John Gilchrist ridiculous ACC tournament run. That that team is like very well remembered now for both that win, which you had a huge part of, and then that run the ACC tournament. Talk about kind of the makeup of that team. Did you feel like if a couple different things go right in the NCAA tournament, you had talent to, to get really far? Um, because it seemed like on any given day, you could beat anybody in the country. Yeah, that was uh, that that performance by John was was incredible, man. I mean, being his roommate and knowing him uh, throughout that process really well, he was just in a different mindset. It's the most locked in I've ever seen a player. Um, he just was literally like not even talking to anybody. He was just completely in a zone for that entire weekend. Um, and then when we went into the tournament, I mean, we kind of surprised people. Like it was, we had to win a couple games in that tournament. Uh, to make the tournament. I remember we kind of went in and had had like some ups and downs and we had momentum at the right time. It's all about momentum, you know, the matchups. Um, but yeah, throughout my whole career, we had teams that could beat anyone. It was just a matter of, you know, matchup, time, you know, circumstance. 
you know, my junior year, we had, you know, one of the first teams that was over 500 in the ACC in years to not make the tournament. We beat, you know, number one team at Duke. We had a pretty good resume. And unfortunately, you know, I was very shocked. I think we all were that we didn't make the tournament. And then my senior year, Chris McRae um, had academic issues and wasn't able to play. So we had a bunch of shit that kind of hurt our, the way we finished our, our time at Maryland, which is disappointing for sure. Um, but we had a lot of talent and, and, you know, we had to your point, some teams that, that could have beat anybody given the right, the right timing and right circumstances. The John Gilchrist runs one of the most insane things I've ever seen as a, as I mean, a kid growing up, I was like, this is ridiculous. Behind the scenes uh, in the locker room. I wish there was like a documentary. Like it's very interesting now how much more documented everything is in social media with podcasts, with, you know, you know, all these documentary things throughout, you know, every tournament, the teams will always have some kind of, but I haven't seen a lot of like the behind the scenes stuff from that run. And he was just, you know, been really interesting to look back and and have any of the like interviews from where his head was at, because he was just mentally at like a different place. He was really dialed in and it was, it was incredible, man. He was definitely, he was definitely on another level for that few days. Now, are there, is there any couple teammates or, or, you know, anyone that you're still really, really close with and, you know, talk to every other day or something like that? Yeah, I've stayed in touch with, with a lot of guys like James Gist still playing in Europe. So I, I seen him a few times, stayed in touch with him. DJ was over there. Um, you know, again, we talked kind of about the different levels. DJ and, and James, uh, when I was over there, were playing in the Euro League, the, the, Euro, the European uh, competitions at the highest level. So I came across those guys a bunch of times and stayed in touch. I still t- stay in touch with Chris McRae from time to time. Uh, Travis Garrison had a podcast I was on last year. Uh, and I saw Travis overseas a couple of times. Um, you know, I'd mentioned, I went to Blake's, uh, hall of fame induction. He lives not too far from me down here in Florida. Um, and so I've stayed in touch with him. Drew Nicholas, uh, I've ran into a few times. He's in scouting now. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of guys who, you know, over the years I've stayed in touch with and, and, uh, now I think that I'm done playing and I'm back in the States more often. Hopefully I'll be able to, uh, to reconnect. I've, I've talked to Jimmy quite a few times. I've talked to Gary about playing golf when I come back to Maine. So in Troy, I mean, these are a lot of things that I've, I've looked forward to. I mean, I've been out of the States for the last 16 years. I mean, I've been in, in the States, maybe eight weeks a year for the last 16 years. So I haven't spent a lot of time here. And, and now that I'm back, I'll be able to hopefully, you know, reconnect with a lot of those guys and, and, you know, come back to Maryland, come to some games. I'm excited to see, you know, what the new, the new staff brings to Maryland. Um, I was super bummed when Maryland left the ACC. Um, but still, it's, it's still, it's still fun to watch. What was your favorite place you played in overseas? Like which, um, which place do you identify with the most? So when you think back and like, man, that was like, that was, cause I always, I think that's fascinating. Like you, as you just said, you spent eight weeks a year here. So those places have to mean something to you at a certain level. Yeah, absolutely. The, the, the team that I considered like my second home was a team in Madrid, Estudiantes. I played there for four years, had a couple of my best seasons as a pro with them. Um, and their fans are called like their, their fan sections called dementia. Um, and those guys and girls were, were like that, that soccer type of fan, uh, energy, like wild, more like college because 
what happens a lot of times you see in the NBA, you see it someplace in Europe, the fans come to take the game in to, for entertainment, but they're not like those diehard fans, like real fans like you get at Maryland in college. And, you know, and, and it's only certain places where you have that, like Boston in the playoffs or, you know, as an example in the NBA. But this was one of those places where the fans were, were like, you know, lighting shit on fire, like really, really like crazy fans. And after the game, like, you know, I'd come out and they'd be like giving you beers and there'd be thousands of people outside of the arena. And like, you know, so th that place was one that like, I've, I've, you know, I'll always go back and, and have great memories there, you know, and I was in my, my twenties there and, and uh, living in Madrid and just really loved living there. Um, you know, on and off the court, it was an incredible experience. And it, it reminded me a lot of, of college, that environment, the passion of the fans, um, you know. So that, that's definitely one of them, for sure. We'll get your, I'll get you out of here on this. Uh, an Azerbaijani passport. Was that to play internationally or just to make it easier to live in Europe? Or do you just identify as an Azerbaijani citizen? <laughs> <laughs> no well i'm i i don't I, I don't identify as an azerbaijan citizen anymore but uh i did for, for a period of time and it was because of the passport the passport as an american player is like a prized possession because you're then not considered an american uh player so most teams can have two americans so if you have that passport as being Europe, European or non-American, there's just more roster spots for you. Uh, and so, and there's also, you know, for your, uh, your market value is significantly higher when you have that. So I found an opportunity to play for the Azerbaijani national team, uh, which was quite an experience and uh, in exchange for a passport. Um, and so that's how I got the passport and my passport just expired last year. Oh. Uh, and that's, that's another reason why it was like, not only was my body was a time, but then not having that passport, you know, and having to be, having to be an American, you know, uh, <laughs> God forbid. <laughs> now I clearly can't play in Europe anymore now that I'm an American again. And so that was, that was a combination of things, but. Uh, yeah, to get a passport is, is definitely a big deal. And, uh, you know, I had the opportunity. My agent did a good job of, of setting that up. And so that's how I, how I got that passport. And I, and I definitely didn't use that passport at any airports. I'll put it that way. Not, <laughs> I was not interested in using that passport at an airport because I got the passport, you know, however it went down, it went down. And, you know, it worked to use throughout my whole career. So I just have to, I just have to imagine that everything was all good with it. Mr. Maine, Mr. Maryland, Mr. Azerbaijan. I mean, those are the your three, your three monikers. For the record, right now, I am from Maryland, and nobody can beat me. I've said it now. There it is. So there you have it. There you <laughs> have it. it. All, all, all on the record. It's now on the transcript. Uh, Nick Cantor Medley, thanks so much. Back to Maryland and spend some time there, and you know, maybe I get a job there or something, and then I can really lean into it, and we can get maybe we can collaborate on getting some shirts going or something like that. Yeah, I we think know, we know those, those I think those would sell. We got some people we can we can figure that out with. So we'll we'll talk offline about that. We'll talk <laughs> offline about that one. Um, thanks so much for coming on, man. When you come up to Maryland, we'll have to have you on um, yeah. again and keep going down memory lane because that was some awesome stuff. Yeah. And I think, as I said, um, as someone that I actually work for, I do social media for Maryland. So 
Um, I see how people respond to people and people love you. So I think it'll be really fun when you come back up here. Um, and uh, I'm come up there for sure. I appreciate you guys having me on. It was, it was a lot of fun and we'll definitely have to do it again. Thank you, man. Very much time. appreciate it. Oh yeah. Yep. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Back to you in the studio. Back on the show. That was just tremendous. Just tremendous. Nick Cannon Bradley slinging, slinging it with us and uh, just some great storytelling. And I, you know, I, I think for us, we're of a certain age where that run of Maryland basketball is just, you could, br- you could bring anyone on from like 1997 or eight till about 2000, maybe the end of the Vasquez era. Um, and that's just a, like those Gary Williams years, just a super nostalgia trip. And Cater Medley is, as you put it, RDT, it's like weirdly a cult hero, despite not being in the like Andrew Terrell, Varun Mike Rom, Brennan, like, Varun Rom type of like walk-on role, Travis Valman, like Reese Mona, like we think of those guys recently. Like he was a two-time All-ACC player, you know, was an average double figures in his last three college seasons started on a 2002, 2003 team that was coming off of a title as a freshman, like who had a lot of veterans back. Like yeah, he got a lot of minutes on that team, like 15 had, minutes a game. Yeah. Yeah. Had Taj back, had Randall, but you named him all that Nicholas, you know, Calvin McCall, who was like a vet um, in his position. Um, and they had a ton. I mean, that was a super talented freshman class. I always remember like there's a sports illustrated article in the like Terps commemorative issue talking about their recruiting next year. It was like, Oh, it's not going to fall down. Cause like Garrison was a top 50 player. Gilchrist was a top 50 player. McCray was like a borderline top 50 player. Nick Kander Medley was, I think a borderline top hundred player, but like they had a great recruiting class and then a great recruiting class the next year based on star ranking. Some of those guys didn't pan out Hassan Fafan and Will Bowers being the most notable, but um just a cool, just cool guy, and and glad that he's going to be able to come to College Park. I think, as I said, his reception is going to be really cool. Yeah, it's kind of wild to think that he just never really came back hardly at all. And as I, you know, I had season tickets out of college. I obviously went to Maryland for four and a half years, where I went to a ton of games. He never, you know, was there, and it made a lot of sense because he's in a different continent. He's across the pond, so. Um, is just an awesome interview with just a peek behind the curtain here. We generally have like a little group text going that we text each other, just like, Hey, who wants the next question? Or like just stuff to, to communicate amongst ourselves as we're interviewing people. And at some point we're like 45 minutes in and it's like, do we want to wrap this up? Like, do you have any more questions? And my, I shortened the response. Cause we always had to be quick in our responses in that group, but I just wanted to text. Like I have so many more questions well, we don't have time to just hear, like, we need to have Mon and do another hour and then maybe on again, we're doing that. Like there are so many things that he said where I had so many more questions to ask him and he looked ready and willing and excited to talk about it. And we just, we would have been here all night if we, if we just kept it going. It was just an awesome interview. And that, that's what I was worried about. I didn't want to like take up too much of his time and then him be like, fuck those guys. They kept me on for two hours. You know, like, but again, yeah. like, we could have gone, we could still be going like two and a half hours, I mean, there's, three hours. Into- yeah. I mean, there's 16 years of international stories. You could have asked like, what's your best Spain story? What's your best interest? Story? But there's like, we, we got into some of, we got into a lot of like 0203 that freshman year. And then a little bit of the AC tournament that next year, we didn't get into like anything about Mike Jones, who I've had Mike Jones on mm-hmm. here, the turtle podcast. And he was great. Like, like talking about like him as a talent. We didn't talk about DJ Strawberry really at all, who's like a guy that Maryland fans love. And 
Like there's so many players that played with him. And, and it was interesting when we asked him about, or I asked him about um, the potential of some of those teams. There, there's a little bit of like, I almost, when I think about his era, like his specific four-year era, the, you almost feel like there could have been more there. I'm sure he thinks about it too. You know, you, you have that team that comes off the title. They still have Blake. They still have Nicholas, you know, and they lose in the sweet 16. If they could just have gotten past Michigan state, maybe they like get themselves to another final four, the Oh three Oh four team with the Gilchrist at the peak of his powers in the ACC tournament, where when they beat Duke in the final, you're like, Oh my God, this team could be anybody like, and they have all this talent. Mm-hmm. And like he said, like Chris McCray has some academic issues and, you know, Mike Jones never really gets it all the way there early in his career. Um, you know, Bowers is a guy and Fafano is a guy that are highly ranked big guys never really panned. Out. It's just, there's, he is in such an interesting era of Maryland basketball where post title, it was like, Oh my God, we could win the national title. So like we have yeah. the players and now can win the national title. And they never really made another run at it. Um, like even got to an elite eight. Um, so that I thought, I think, and he was like, so, you know, I, I, it's always weird asking those cause you don't know if guys are like, you know, feel salty about it. And he was very transparent with like, like shit happened. Shit just like happened to us at different times. And we just couldn't ever really put it together on any of those teams. And, you know, but the biggest revelation of the interview is obviously he never said it. He never said it. He said it. Then, he, did say it. then he said it. And then he, he said, said it. it. Man, I was just, I, I was floored when he said that. And I went back and read the articles after he said that he didn't say it. And I, it, it all, all the quotes said the police report said, mm. not Nick Kaner Medley said. So I feel like there's at some point there's communication to these, these reporters or whoever that like, that wasn't something that was actually said. It's just the police report. It was in there, which, oh my goodness. What he, he's so on point about the documentation type stuff. Like if there were like cameras around to be a fly in the wall in the room, with Gary oh. and Nick Aaron Medley for that would be unbelievable. Can you imagine getting called to the principal's office by Gary Williams? Oh my like God, principal is Gary Williams. Gary? Yeah, fuck that. I, I'm just. I can. You can I picture transfer so quick because because we all have such like a you know you you like have such an idea of how college coaches react because you see him on the sideline and so you you know especially a guy like Gary and when he was saying that Gary was like shaking holding the paper I can just you can, I think all of us can just imagine what that looks like because you know we've seen him look at refs like that and look at players like that like during the game <laughs> crazy I can't believe he didn't say it I, I and I loved how just he was like just like yeah you know if there were other stories out there about me like out and about like i'd be kind of even more of a legend this is just awesome this is awesome um talk about a guy that seems like he had some fun in college which we all did. Uh, that's what i wanted to say i was like i i wanted to and then he kind of said it but i was like it, it seemed like you really really enjoyed your time in maryland like <laughs> you really liked it and again like i think it's like you know if you could if you could go back and go somewhere else would you do it and i i guarantee you'd be like no i want to go back you know i'd go back to maryland so I'm excited for people to hear it. Cause again, I don't know what expectations we really had going into it, but he blew every expectation out of the water. Like that was, it was just fantastic. Yeah. I feel like he's just know. been a little disconnected from our little world. He even said that he, he, he wasn't really aware of the fact that there's a little bit of a, a cultish, you know, a love and appreciation of Nick Kinnermedley and, he, he hadn't really realized that he's just kind of been outside of this world for a little bit. And uh, 
it was it was just cool to see him kind of realize that. And uh, when he comes back, he's going to know it for sure. And and I hope he doesn't think it's like a parody or like people like poking fun at him because no, it's, it's like genuine appreciation. It's like genuine appreciation. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I think that's a lot of those. I think that's a lot of. The, I mean, Gilchrist is the same way. People love John Gilchrist. If you if you and I, you know, he accomplished a little more than Kander Medley, but other than the ACC tournament, like not that much. He didn't play professionally for that long. He was, you know, I don't even, you know, maybe was second team ICC or something. He wasn't an All American. Um. They're just the guys that you watch and you see that they have a, you know, a genuine, like their mentality is honestly, I'm from Maryland and nobody can beat me when they wear the Jersey. Those are the guys Maryland fans love. And Kaner Medley was like that. DJ Strawberry was like that. John Gilchrist was like that. And that just gives you that little extra Des Wells was like that. Like mm-hmm. it gives you that little extra thing that fans connect with. And um, Daryl Morcel was like that. Like that Gordon Williams. Yeah. Oh, oh, come on, oh, Dave. Come on. Dave, we're, we're, we're having not- such a yeah, the mayor. We're having such a moment. RDT, I mean, you can't go, <laughs> Jordan Williams. Those thousand graduates just I can't, I can't yeah, wait for that. Yeah, I'm the Cana Medley and I have Maryland pride because the roof is going to blow off. It would, uh, you it guys, would. yeah, you're going to make that happen. Yeah, I think to. we will one make of the it things happen. we should honestly do now. Just I think we should like sneak a random Maryland pride in there. Every Maryland pride. I'm have to take this to a content meeting this week. Every Maryland pride in game one, like we should stick a random one in there that you don't expect. Cause when people come to the game, especially season ticket holders, it's the same video. It really is. Every single, same every single time, every TV timeouts, same. Yeah. Events, like. yeah. And so, and it's a good video. Obviously you, you pop off for the people you pop off for, but if you just like snuck, like a, you know, you're just like watching, just like I'm Varun Ram and I have Maryland Pride. I feel like that would like pop off a segment of the crowd. It would. And you just do a generation. I'm, I'm David Pierman and I have Maryland Pride. Yeah. <laughs> I think I'm Sterling, I, I, I'm I, Sterling Ledbetter and yeah. I have Maryland Pride. I'm P. Sean Howard and I have Maryland Pride. Like <laughs> I'm Terrell. Season. I'm Terrell Stoglin and I don't have Maryland Pride. <laughs> <laughs> All right. In honor of Nick Tanner Medley, we are doing. Uh, Best left hand. We're doing left handed athletes, right? We're not expanding this like last week. We're keeping it to athletes. I think. Oh, I did. I picked lefties. I, we oh, could do I've it. got lefties. Okay. I didn't know. Okay. Perfect. I, I wasn't going to abuse that though because I could just go. Yeah. Like, I'm going to do mostly not, athletes. But- I, I'm going to do mostly athletes, I think. But um, best left hand. Second, second straight starting five in honor of Nick Hanner Medley, too. In honor of Nick Hanner Medley. Yeah. This guy couldn't have given more content. He, really, he just gives content to our show. We wouldn't <laughs> yeah. be able to I don't think show. he really understood that either. We would, like yeah. Half of our show is about you. Yeah, half of our show is about you. And again, not in um, a parody way. Like, this is serious. No, not even close. Um, All right. I have the first pick. Banks has the second pick. RDT has the third pick. I didn't really want to be the first pick in this draft. Um, But I'm going to take a guy that I just think I identify as a great left-hander. Just And I, I think he's, like, one of my favorite non, like, one of my team's athletes ever just by like look and persona and everything. I'm taking Randy Johnson. I'm taking the big unit. Wow. I'm taking the yeah. big unit. I, I I just was like doing my research and I just loved, I love the big, now he's on this direct TV commercial in a very bizarre. <laughs> <Great> <laughs> commercial. It's a great commercial. Um, So I'm taking the big unit. He killed a bird with a ball. He was awesome. <laughs> it's um, always amazing when, when a guy is a legend because of his ability, but just like, <laughs> Just like legendary things happen around him. Yeah. And the bird thing with Randy Johnson is just Perfect. a great example. Of that. Yeah. One, the, do you guys know how many Cy Youngs he won off the top of your heads? Five. Four? Five. Nailed Five. RDT. 
Five. Uh, finished runner-up t- three other times. I mean, that's Ooh. disgusting. <laughs> it's just disgusting numbers. Um, Great cameo in, in Little Big League. Mm-hmm. Yep. Won 303 games. Hall of Famer, obviously, 10-time All-Star, World Series champ. Uh, by the way, a great moment when he won the World Series. It used to be a great moment because it was him and Schilling. Now Schilling has kind of killed that for everybody. But um, <laughs> yeah, team Randy, John- of, uh, Randy Johnson winning the World Series and like that beating that Yankees team was, I would say, one of the best series. baseball one of the best baseball moments the last thirty years. It was a, it was a great series and like I think people rooted for him. I think neutral fans like rooted. It was for like Randy a, Johnson. it was like three weeks after nine eleven, and yeah, and you had people, people cheering. For, for a team not from New York. Yeah, it was kind of wild. Yeah. Um, and people forget uh, Mark Grace, you know, 1990s hits leader, led off that ninth inning with a sharp single up the middle. There yeah. you have it. Yeah. Your guy, Mark Grace, one of your favorite guy. questions. Banks, you have the second pick. <laughs> Should I take him with the pick? No. <laughs> I'm not going to take him. Um, I'm going to take Babe Ruth, Baltimore native. Um, mm, that's okay. D- double lefty. He's just absolutely mashing dingers left-handed iconic swing those like grainy videos where the ball just launches right off the bat and obviously he was a great left-handed pitcher too people forget that yes great pick hell of a left-hander yep you can make a case uh no you can't he's not the most famous left-handers somebody else that's more famous but a couple people more famous but i mean just like like people like all people generally yes yes among athletes maybe the most famous yeah or you too. Me? Oh, I got back to back. Oh, that is how the draft works. All righty. Um, oh, God damn it. My screen froze, so I can't see you guys. Can You're you- still going, though. You're right. frozen in a great spot that I'm now screenshotting. Thank All you. Um, I am going to go. This is the proper order, too. We're going to. Oh, now we may have lost them. Do we lose them? It's not I think me. We did. It's we're we're golden. He's gone. Shocking, shocking. That's unbelievable. We haven't lost RDT in a good while. We haven't lost anybody in a while. This was a recurring problem with your Wi-Fi, and then um, that also cut out perfectly before he took the bed. I know he's frozen. Um, normally, this has been me and RDT having these conversations. Banks, what's it like to not be the one getting disconnected? This is wild. I, I feel like <laughs> our connection is purer than ever. Uh, I see some text coming in here. Um, Why is he picking these over text? 90% is fixing to over text. Um, <laughs> I'm not announcing them. I he mean, has to announce them. It's a good back-to-back, I got to say. Um, it's good. Yeah. Uh, I feel like I, I don't know that we should – oh, there he's, he's gone from the chat here. Um, yeah. To have picks be so similar to start things off, I don't think that's good for the brand of the draft as a whole, but the picks are the picks and these are, these are good picks. They, well, I think this is the sport where like lefty righty is just the most talked about. And so I think you go to baseball, you just go, I like my mind just went to baseball first. I've got a lot of diversity in my picks coming up. I actually did, wasn't sure. Just, I just didn't know where you guys want to go. And I just wanted to get Randy Johnson, but like Babe Ruth's, Babe Ruth is on my board. Like I, I would have picked him next. I think. Yeah, and and his picks are good. Like, I wanted the left-handed draft to be about. I mean, there are lots of left-handed baseball players out there. The split between lefty righty and baseball is probably what thirty seventy or something. I think that there's Um, that's and then you get a sport like hockey, and it's like fifty fifty. So it's not even cool to be left-handed. It's really not even a thing. But you get other sports, and it's very very wide difference between who's left-handed righty. Make your piece back. Make your picks. All right, we're going Barry, Bond, Barry Bonds. Okay. 
Got best baseball reference of all time. Best baseball player, best reference. Abrams baseball reference page is awesome. It is. It's it's fun. It's it's a good it's a good look. The guy Um, retired with a three seventy three OBP, thinking he was washed, but nobody kept track of OBP, so he just hung him up way too early. Who who Bonds or or Babe Ruth? Well, Bonds is the same thing. Bonds was blacklisted. So, well, yeah. I mean, Bonds hit like 28 home runs last year, something like that. Um, Second pick, I'm going Ken Griffey Jr. So, we're just out home. We're we're full of baseball players and we are just, we're homering everywhere. So, again, I think of Junior Griffey also on that direct TV commercial. Yeah. And (laughs) two of the sweeter home run swings you'll ever see. Yeah. Argu- well, uh, not Bonds, but Griffey, arguably the most attempted copied batting stance. It's up there with Sheffield and, and a couple others. But Griffey, I mean, everyone tried to do like the wiggle. I can I never do it. I, I could never do it, but we could even do a batting stance draft. Yeah, we have to do that. Put that one down. Let's these are going to those are easy ones to do off the rip, too. So. Yeah, Griffey, the Griff Bonds and Griffey. Good picks. Thanks. I'm going to, I'm going to break the trend here. I'm going to go away from it. I'm going to take Michael Vick. I think he is uh, Mm. maybe not the best or most accomplished uh, left-handed quarterback, but I think he's just, he's just sweet. And Michael Vick is just somebody you want on your team in a draft type scenario. So uh, I'm going to take Michael Vick. It's a good pick. Good pick. It's a good pick. I like that pick. Entertainment pound for pound, maybe the most entertaining lefty ever. Absolutely. Yeah. Really, him and, so him and Babe Ruth quite similar, I would say. Um, because they both wait. Can I say it? Because they both put down a lot of dogs. <laughs> <laughs> that Taylor's face right now. That spot the lie. What's the? I mean, what are we doing here? I mean, bang, have a little bit of class. Tea. You put me on a tee for that one. Jeez. Oh, yeah, I mean Buster can't. Buster's in the room. My dog got off the couch when I said that. I hope, I hope so. He's looking out the window, just absolutely baffled. I mean, he's pondering. This yeah. is the most quiet Buster's been in weeks. He's, he's beside himself. Spot the lie. Oh, yeah, now he's barking. Yeah, now he's not happy. This is on you, Eric. As you shouldn't be, Buster. Um, that's just. Uh, this has just totally derailed the draft. No, it hasn't. Um, I'm gonna I am gonna take um Rafael Nadal. That's my guy. I can't believe you didn't take him first. I was going to, but I, I didn't think you guys would take him. So I took a little bit of a risk and figured he could get down to me at this point in the draft, and he did. Uh I love Rafael Nadal, and he absolutely talking a left-handed. Um, that not only helps him because people aren't used to it, but God is he just Rip the forehand left-handed. God, is that a pretty, pretty thing to watch, what that guy does with his left hand. So I'm taking Rafa. Um, and then I'm taking – Phrasing uh, on that one, by the way. Well, um, you know. <laughs> well, we, we just had the dog joke, so I really I can't really go Gotta much. lighten it up after that. Yeah, I can't really go much deep, deeper and darker than that. Um, I am going to take – Jennifer Lawrence, Katniss Everdeen, just banging those bows. Now let's talk about another tough thing to say um, with her left hand, just killing people, winning the hunger games, saving the districts. Where's she been? 
I don't know. I had to get her back in the conversation because she's been gone for a while. I do love her. So yeah, I, she, I'm I picking mean, She's been out for like a while too. Like it's been extended. You know, she was like she's out so of good before COVID. Yeah. I'm upset how long she's been gone. I love those Hunger Games movies though. Shout out to Katniss. Can you do the whistle? <laughs> <laughs> you can read it. You can listen to that. Were you guys, were you guys, were you guys, um, which team were you guys on? Which guy did you want to end up with? I didn't oh, bother with those is, movies. Oh, no. I saw boys, one of them boys, in theaters, boys. and there was just a group of kids talking the entire time, so I didn't I, – I took away zero. Damn, kids. Peter or Gale, just to clarify for you guys. Team Peter, team Gale. I was a, I was a, I was a Peter guy. My guy, Peter, tossing her some bread. All right, you guys clearly didn't see these movies. Um, Banks. I'm going to take the gray one. Mm. Wayne Gretzky left-handed. I, me hockey is just so 50-50. There's so many. See, that's the super it's interesting like, part. Like, it doesn't I make it that lefty the hands that they use, but I just yeah. think Katniss Everdeen. It's, so. just, it's just there to be had. And if I can get Babe Ruth and Wayne Gretzky in the same draft, I'm going to do it. So, Good one. Good one. Yeah, I, mean, I can't question it. I mean, Wayne Gretzky, yeah. that's a great great YouTube highlights, Wayne, obviously. but Another fun um, hockey reference. Uh <laughs> page yeah uh all righty i will go give me sean michaels hbk wow michaels recently, recently. goes to the pro wrestler for this one ambidextrous but he would write left-handed that's normally my gig well pro wrestlers he's just a sexy boy he is i, I mean he's great i mean i, I love me some um I love me some Shawn Michaels. He's he's absolutely tremendous. One of the one of the one of the greats. I mean, one of the goats. He's he's awesome. Just an all-time entertainer. Yep. Absolutely an entertainer. Um, yep. and then my my fourth pick, I'm gonna go kind of following on the theme of this um episode. We'll go lefty Drizel. Ah, very nice. Very nice. Left-handed. That's a good pick. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. People forget where do you go to college? Uh, Duke. It's never talked about that much. Nope. But nope. Again, he's a legend. Legend. Uh, and every every facet of the word, just a an an all around, just a basketball dude too. So again, he coached basketball wherever. It didn't matter if it was Maryland or Georgia Southern or whatever. God just wanted the coach. So and again, yeah, James Madison. Did he get some years in a James Madison? I think so. That sounds about right. Sounds about right. So yeah. Good old lefty. Never forget him falling asleep on the sideline of one of the games a couple years ago. And his, <laughs> wi- and his wife nudging him, saying, lefty, wake up. <laughs> his wife uh, passed away last year. So. Yeah, I was going to say either last year or a couple years ago. Yeah. Thanks. Nick Cannon Bradley. Yeah. Yeah. Done. Bad too. He's, he's on my board the whole time. I thought he would go quicker based off of the interview. Um but no, I'm thinking about. Oh my gosh, man! Oh no. Um, hey, Nick Kinnermetal is the pick. Little B, I, I can't. I normally I get a little peeved at Little B for barking during the show, but I, I mean, he's just trying he's, to defend his kind right now. He's well within his rights. Yeah, he can do whatever he wants during this. Yeah. In my opinion. I guess I'm the one who took Little Vic, so. Yeah, but I was just finishing the, <laughs> the joke. Sorry, I'm sorry. 
Yeah. Now apologies in order for two of the people yeah, podcast. He, he the show. gave me he gave me the side eyed look. Oh no. Uh, oh my god, the controversy. Uh, um drama. I've got my final two. Cam Rally's a great pick. We've talked about him a ton. Uh I've got my final two here. Um, I'm gonna start with a guy that I feel like people have very hard opinions about either way. I was always a fan of this guy and I just enjoyed the like persona around him. I'm taking Tim Tebow. Give me the teamster. The Pittsburgh thing with the Broncos is one of the all-time moments for me in NFL playoff history. Just an amazing situation. So I'll always remember him for that. Um, and seems like a nice enough guy. So I'm taking Tim Tebow. Yeah, he, he, he was considered for sure. Um, he made it to triple A, dude. Yeah, but yeah, I know. But he's taking a roster spot away from a kid who worked his ass off, you know? <laughs> they don't just give triple A spots to anybody. To, to, to guys that they can sell jerseys of, I bet they do. Mm. Should have been my, a tight end. Should have been a tight end. With my final pick, um, I'm going to take, I think, one of the more accomplished people that's ever been picked um, a starting five draft. Um, graduate of Calvert Hall in 1977, a graduate of Princeton in 1981, graduated from Hopkins Medical School, <laughs> went to Stanford for residency. He's now the president of CEO of St. Joseph's Medical Center. Come on, man. Won a private school uh, lacrosse championship with Calvert Hall um, and has three sons, including Taylor, Burke, and Sam. I'm taking Dr. Tom's B. Smythe um, as my final pick in the left-handers draft. Cool. Thank you. Best left hand I've ever met. Happy Fair. Father's Day. Happy Father's Day. Yeah. Yeah. Take a seat with your wow. Take a pick, Banks. I'm yeah, taking Oprah. I'm taking Oprah. Oh, you stink. That's horrible. <laughs> I'm taking yeah, Oprah. That's a bad thing. Uh, you started yeah, to go off about bad. the most accomplished people, and I, I thought you were going to take my pick here, and I'm taking Oprah. No. That is a diverse – Board right there. We're talking Pixie, Babe Ruth, and Dinks. Oprah Winfrey. Oh, Oprah Winfrey. Come on. She's a multi billionaire. Oh, sick. <laughs> started out in Columbia. Got her start in Columbia. Yeah. Yeah. Got some Baltimore roots. Come on. A little bit. Yeah. You know, his Baltimore roots. Tom Smythe. He's got Baltimore <laughs> roots. And he's still helping this community. Where'd Oprah go? She's more identifiable. Yeah, with what's Oprah doing nowadays? She, she's yeah, what's o- yeah. She's, what's she's Oprah, that, Oprah doing for this community? What's Oprah doing for this community? This community. Oprah ain't, ain't even played anybody. <laughs> <laughs> All righty. Already All, All-time lefty. Come on. Everyone knows Oprah is a lefty. <laughs> <laughs> she only points their left hand when she's giving away the gifts. She had that sweet stroke from the corner. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> She was wet. Oprah. I uh, thought you guys thought I was going to take. Oh, go ahead. And then I'll say. No, no, no. You go. You go. Well, well, you might take him. So I'll let you go. I'm taking Larry Bird when he only shot his left hand and scored like 47 mm. points. That's a good pick. That's just a that cool is move. such a better pick than Oprah. Like, I can't even stand how much. <laughs> just cool. You know, I'm not even uh, that big of like a Larry fan. I just think that's a cool move. Yeah. Larry's fun. That is a cool move. Larry is fun. Yeah. Uh, I was thought when I when I was taking accomplished, I thought you guys thought I was going to take Obama. He's left-handed. I also I thought, thought that was a possibility. Yeah, I knew with your uh, with how you voted last time, I knew that you wouldn't think about it though. But <laughs> that's horrible. Um, 
Oh, how I talked about oh the steal. No, I I was in favor of Gore last time, so I went that I went that well, way on them. I was just talking about how you voted in the election. On the little political spectrum. How do you know I voted in the election? Should we go through our 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 collective ballot history and, and judge each other politically? <laughs> well, sure. <laughs> and have the and have the listeners say who's right on the political spectrum. That that's only gonna go well. We can put that on the Patreon. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what's the uh what's the blog site that all the all those people um weebly <sighs> we'll put that on the weebly yeah his little b has just totally lost his mind in ocean city he's had enough he's had enough of the podcast here at this point Squirt oh up. my god and b's holding a, a water spray Ryan has a so gun to the spray the bottle out. Head. <laughs> hey hey <laughs> this has been a rousing show up. We had an appearance from Nick Cantor Medley's daughter. We have Will B barking. We had an appearance from your wife, RDT, off camera, or you know, not that was recorded. She was mad at you. We had that going on. This has been a very lively show. Any uh, honorable mentions? I had Manu Ginobili. I always thought he was a notable left-hander. Ah. I've got – I almost wanted to do a, like a separate draft where it was just like the obscure lefties. Like I was going to take Mike Weir. Over Phil Nicholson. Like, I'm not taking Phil. No one's taking by, Phil right now. By the way, two years ago, good. Phil's the number one pick in the draft. Yeah, I know. He is lefty, but he's... And he wasn't even canceled. on my board. By the way, I guess I should have gone through it. I took Randy Johnson, Ralph Nadal, Jennifer Lawrence, Tim Tebow, and my father. Um, <laughs> Banks took Babe Ruth. I didn't take a little bait. Babe Ruth, Mike Vick, Wayne Gretzky, Nick Caner Medley, and Oprah. And fucking Oprah and <laughs> RDT took Barry Bonds, Ken Griffey Jr., uh, Sean Michaels, Lefty Drizelle, and Larry Bird. I actually think your last two picks, RDT, may have been like the two, my two favorite picks in the draft, besides my dad, obviously. Um, I also had Boomer Sison and John okay. McEnroe <laughs> as a couple of other yeah. ones. And there was a ton of baseball players. I just didn't feel like listing a thousand like baseball players. Michael Red, I, I wanted to take. Mm. That's a good one. I just one. really think of him as a lefty. He's the only lefty you really think of besides yeah. from Kinder Medley and Ginobili. Uh, Charles Stoglin. Yeah, of course. Um, I had Otani, Brady Anderson. Eminem apparently is a lefty. Didn't know that. Yeah, the yeah. some of the celebrity ones. I, I The only reason I liked the Katniss one is because she actually shot that bow left-handed. But Yeah, Jimi Hendrix was a thought. Yeah. Very um, notorious. Yeah, I think Kurt Cobain, was also, Kurt Cobain was also left-handed. Paul McCartney apparently is left-handed. Yeah, that's what I saw. Um, I had Sandy Koufax, one of my yeah. you know, part of the tribe. Um, Will Ferrell, apparently lefty too. So Seth Rogen is apparently left-handed. Yeah, so that um, Bub- Bubba Watson, but he may jump mm-hmm. ship. So he's he's on the the soon to be canceled list, I think. Yeah, yeah, we think that's gonna be the next live one, huh? After answer, the, him or, yeah. him or Brooks? You don't you think he goes before Brooks? Yeah, I yes. think so. Bubba Watson makes so much sense. I think Brooks is going to wait it out till the end of the FedEx Cup season, and then he's going to go. That would that's believable. Yeah. Uh, uh, Dave Dave Portnoy. Mm. Mm. My brother. He, I didn't know he was left. Is he left hand? Oh yeah. Oh, I no, didn't know that yeah. for some reason. Seen him against Dallas. Oh yeah, it's true. Yeah, should have thought about that. Dallas Braden. Uh, uh, Mark Grace. Steve Young, Manny Pacquiao. Uh, a, lot of the list had, a lot of the lists I saw had Sandy Koufax at the top. Yeah, he's, he mentioned it. It's also oh, crazy true, true. Yeah. that he just got his statue. Did anyone else think that was weird? 
where in LA or something? He just got a statue outside of Dodger Stadium this weekend. That's bizarre. I would have like, thought that had been done for is, 35 years. What's what going he, on there? That's weird. Yeah, I that don't strikes know. me as very, very weird. I that's very weird. Yeah, like where is that? Like people uh, complain here about not having an Ed Reed statue, like Sandy yeah. Koufax. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, one, one of the all-time legends. I meant to like tweet that out. Like, is there something I'm missing? I, I gotta ask my dad because there has to be something. Maybe, maybe they just. I don't know. Are they like, they, they, are like they giving a, other statues out or something? I. I don't know. This is the top story on Google. Dodgers unveil statue honoring Sandy Koufax. It was two days ago from the athletic. Hmm. I don't know. But, uh, a, a time of gratitude and inclusion. I, I don't, I mean, I don't know. What about Napoleon Bonaparte? Bonaparte? <laughs> Apparently Leonardo <laughs> da Vinci was. I saw that one. Albert Einstein as well. Joe Sackick? Um, Why is Joe Sackett the next lefty you think of? <laughs> I'm just looking at a list now. I just have a list of uh, that I'm just scrolling through to see if there's any funny ones. I just Joe so was sick though. Peter Bondra. Yeah, he, Joe Sackett was sick. Uh, Johan Santana, Greg Luganis, apparently. I'm yeah. sure that helped in the diving. Nice. Wait, Clayton, Clayton Kershaw. I mean, Scott McBrien. Yes. Yes. Well, um, um, wasn't wasn't the the linebacker? Sean Petty? The linebacker? Wasn't he? Oh, yes. I think he was. Yes, yeah. yes. That would have been a good pick. That would have been a good pick. Um, Speaking of picks in the draft, Nick Cater Medley, Maryland, person, man, woman, child of the week. Thanks. Can I take Nick Cater Medley? <laughs> you can do whatever you want. Are we just doing Nick Cater Medley overload here? I'm taking him. Then. But, like, are, can we just agree to split that one, too? Sure. That's such a great time. So outside of that, I'm going to go with the country club. What's a great name, by the way, if you could just are able to claim the country club. Yeah. Um, I thought it made for a great major venue. I thought the golf was tremendous all week. I thought that the result was incredible. It came down to the final hole, you know, final shots, final putt. Um, a worthy champion won the tournament. And uh, there was hardly any mention or discussion of live golf over the weekend. Because the golf was, you know, was entertaining and it was competitive and it was just a great tournament. So it, it also Open. worked out that none of the live guys got in contention. I think that was also a big part Correct. of it. Like if Dustin Johnson is contending in that situation, the narrative is very interesting. So that worked out for the USGA. Like the first major that has live guys up at the top contending is going to be super interesting to see how that's handled. Uh, but sure. a great golf, great golf. It was it was awesome. Um, it kind of leads into my pick. Uh, I, wa- I didn't see a ton of the afternoon of golf. I watched the last about hour. Um, cause for father's day, the family went and saw top gun Maverick. And that is my pick for Nick Kidder. That movie is freaking awesome. It is so good. I would say, I don't think there, there haven't been like a lot of must watch movies lately. I feel like if you like movies at all, this is like a must watch to see in the theater. It's a freaking fun ass movie. Tom Cruise is awesome in it. They give you everything you want, like all of the things, the nostalgia things, the flight sequences are insane. They like had all of the actors like fly with actual pilots and like all of that stuff is done like with them in the air. Like none of it's in a simulator. It's just tremendous. And they like wrapped it up perfectly. I'm sure they'll now make a third one because the thing's made like a billion dollars, but perfect sequel 
to a like a classic movie that's like sort of flawed but has like awesome you know you know kind of a two perfect blockbuster movies the two top gun movies so i i i knew it was going to be good because the reviews are amazing and the audience score was like insane and it made a ton of money but i was like blown away i thought it was tremendous so if you guys haven't seen it i would go see it i've heard very good things so easy pick for me that that i got an entire top gun kick last night i was like had the old movie like on when i was like sitting in bed like great movie just great stuff. Good job by Tom Cruise. He's a, kind of a weird guy. <laughs> very weird. Yeah. Very, very weird. Um, I will go with with our old friend, our old Orioles friend, David Hess, who yesterday suited up. I don't think he got in the game for the Durham Bulls. But again, October 7th, he was diagnosed with a tumor that was pressing up against his heart and lungs. It was the size of a cantaloupe. So the fact that he not only is still alive, the fact that he was able to suit up in a game and, and again, is around the guys and all that down in Durham and AAA for the Rays. Um, pretty cool. And again, I talked to him and, you know, he said the, the goal is to make it back up here to Baltimore and, and, and show out in front of, in front of uh, the Baltimore fans that, that he loves. So I just thought that was a cool story that he was able to rebound and come back. So that was cool. And obviously my third of the Nick Kaner medley piece of the pie. That Banks handed out. Yeah, honorable mention me for sharing him. Yes, thank you. Yep. Um, honorable mentions. Uh, I was just going to give it to the fathers. Shout out to all the fathers out yep. there. Shout out Happy to Father's Day. Happy Father's Day. Indeed. Happy Father's Day to you, Eric. Oh, thank you. Nope. Yep. You deserve it. Your 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 parenting was well. You had yeah, a little bit. You too. um thanks although you're you guys we had we have our we've had our struggles here with little b we had a you know a pre-recording situation where rdt tried to tell his lovely daughter that where she was going the next day and instead of saying the orioles game she said to go to target so you've really done a great job instilling that orioles passion but the her passion for fortune 500 companies continues to be strong she we walked around target well she could walk around target for hours we also (laughs) We walked around to Dick's Sporting Goods for like an hour and a half one day. She do you just, do you call it Target around her? No, no, no. It's not. No, it's Target. It's not it's, very dad of you. Why? Uh, no, I'm not. I'm not there yet. I'm not that level. <laughs> what would you say is her favorite part about Target? About the Target experience? By the way, super free ads here for Target, but whatever. I mean, it's, they don't it's, need our help. It's the toys for sure, but she's a big. She loves the clothes. She loves going to the dress aisle. Like and mm. dresses. Talk to you dresses. One of the great, one of the great fashion brands of its time. Target. Yeah, yeah. yeah they, hey, they're cheap. People would agree with that. Yeah, yeah. They got some good stuff. You know, again, no free ads. If they want to advertise, they can. But sure, we would love to have Target as a, as a sponsor. I love Target. I'm there like every other day. I'm pro. Tar- are you guys Target or Walmart? I'm definitely Target. Yeah. Yeah, Target, of course, for sure. Also, speaking of dogs, they had that dog mascot back in the day. They don't really use that dog anymore. No, they, um, they, no, if you go to Target, at least the ones up here, they have like in the kids' aisles, like the kids' clothing, there's like a bench and you can sit next to the dog. Oh, really? Okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah. There's a dog. Every time I can't, she says, there's a dog coming out of the box. I can't wait to go by myself and snoop through the kids' clothing aisle to find that. I'm sure that's not going to be weird (laughs) at all. Hi, do you know where the girls' dresses are? Where the top? I really want to see. Hey, where's Spot the dog? For a birthday party, that's that's the excuse you got to go with. Yeah, yeah. 
Hey, I just want to find the dog bench. I don't really care about buying any products from your hey, store. Hey, kid, come here, come here. Do you know where that dog bench is? Uh, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, love me some Target, but you know, some some great parenting going on there, and the uh, the entire RDT family was just all over. We had we had kids running around, dogs running around. It was it was a tremendous five minutes. It's it's, it's been a day at the house. Do you wanna? Do you wanna in? you know, to apologize to your, to your wife. Do you want to plug her podcast? I don't even know what it's called. Oh, wow. no. <laughs> oh, my oh God. no. I mean, just nobody steps in it quite like you. Not going to hear this. Are you kidding me? Well, this will talk about testing. If someone listens to a show. Oh, there's no way she listens. Will this get back to her in some fashion? We're yes, about to find will, out. Because Annie will probably tell her. Yeah. Yeah. God, Annie could just absolutely end you here if she if well she's got also proof she listens till the end of the show. Yeah, so I don't know. We'll see her little snitch ass. We'll this see. will be very interesting. <laughs> this will be very interesting. Well, just total RDT family family. Uh, world versus world versus me. It's I'm always the world versus Eric. I'm looking in. No way. Yep. I yep. can't wait. I can't wait to hear this transcript in the divorce settlement. We'll do the deposition like Michael and Jan. Uh. <laughs> Uh, little B's barks will be have to be in the background. <laughs> <laughs> it should be a full. It'll be a full thing. Um, what an end to this week's episode of the Exit Fifty Two podcast. Uh, thanks again to Nick Caner Medley, a tremendous guest, and um, wonderful stuff from him. Um, make sure to follow us on all of our social media at Taylor Smythe Ten. For me, you can follow Banks at Barstool Banks. You can follow Eric at E D I T T I. 22 you can follow nick canner medley at nick canner medley guys got 24 twitter followers right now go follow this man just join twitter yep just join twitter that's that we got in contact with him so make sure you go follow him you can follow the podcast at exit 52 podcast twitter and instagram uh make sure to uh support all of our partners i can't talk right now um jimmy seafood thread level midnight um Use the promo code X32 Fed Thrill. Get your 20% off. I think I might have missed the Fed Thrill ad this week. So let me shout them out even more specifically. Fed Thrill, get your sunglasses, X32, use the promo code. Uh, we were just so in our Nick Cater Medley um, glory there. We just rolled into the draft. And we'll see you next time on the X52 podcast presented by Jimmy's Seafood. <laughs>